comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe and welcome to episode 255 of the long box of doom this is our duties episode our annual award show for this will be for 2013 it's a little later than we normally do but the goal was to get as much in as we possibly could this year instead of doing it a little early like we've done in the past so here we are and this was a bit of a tough year i think um, overall all of us collectively have been reading fewer comics or maybe if, if not fewer than just uh, more variety. Like we're not all reading the same thing as we have in years past. Uh, so this has been a bit of a challenge to get all of the, uh, the votes tallied and get everything in order. It wasn't an outstanding year for movies, I would say. So again, that made it challenging as well. So we didn't do viewer voting this year, uh, partly because of that, because we had enough uh, issues, horse trading and, yelling at each other to to try and get these these uh votes in and get things ironed out so we decided to just go all in on us so hopefully maybe if next year things are on the up we'll uh maybe go back to to including the users or the the listeners in the vote i should say so blood was shed kegs were emptied women and men were used and abused just to get the list that we have today i think it's pretty cool though and i i don't want you to get too far off your point but to really put a, a finer point on it we're all reading a lot of different kinds of comics now, which is which is great, I think. I mean, there are a lot of times in the past where, you know, we all, it was obvious what our first, second, third choices of the year would be because we're all reading the same thing. But now, I think with all the indies and all the digital comics and everything else, I mean, it's great that, I mean, we cast a much wider net now. I mean, we've all read stuff that the others haven't read, but there are, you know, there's some places where we come together. And I, I think it's really cool. I, again, it would make it harder for the... um uh, listeners to be a part of that because of the, you know, the horse training and everything to winnow it down to like five choices. But I, I think it speaks a lot for the way what you know is going on with comics now. Uh, you know what's important with comics now isn't it, it? It doesn't seem like it's the big two anymore. It seems like it's just good comics overall. Yep. Hi. I'm here. So, so yeah, join. Actually, probably. <laughs> After five minutes into the episode, uh, this is Russ, and I'm joined by John, Jim, and Jordan. So we got a full slate tonight for the ceremonies at hand. Yes, always looking forward to duties. Yes, even though... The puns will never end. No, they never will. And even though the football game is on right now, and San Francisco and Seattle are duking it out, so if there are moments of people acting like they're not paying attention, we'll throw something at the other, and uh, that's what's going on. So a little change in format for this year as well, other than, like I said, the the viewer voting. We are going to, instead of announcing like first, second, third place, 
we're going to announce the winner of each category, and then I think each of us are going to be able to jump in and list out one or two things that were high on our list but didn't make it to number one. So that that's how this will go. So without further ado, we will start off with Mr. Jim Dietz, who's going to moderate the comics section. Okay, uh, as in years past, the first category is Best Ongoing. This is just an ongoing series that is going on. And um, we had a lot of really cool entries in in the uh, in this category this, this uh, year. John, you want to tell us a, a couple of things that you had in your list, perhaps? I have to preface the whole category with saying that uh, I, I didn't read as many comics this year. Like Russ said earlier, uh, I read some different stuff. For some reason, I fell behind in Marvel and, uh, you know, just the way that the, the big two work now, I figured I would have a lot of catching up to do. I wouldn't be able to just jump back in and, and read after falling behind. So I held off and I tried some new things. Black Science by Dark Horse being number one, the new Rick Remender book. Um, I, I kind of went back and forth about whether I should include it in Best Ongoing, being that it is only, what, two or three issues in at this point? Two. Yeah, yeah uh, two. But I love it. It's I think niche. it's awesome. Uh, I love the art. You'll hear me talk about that when we get to Best Artist. Uh, I love Remender. And it's cool. It's kind of like a fear agent cross with, um, I don't know, give me something. Like a time travel mixed in with fear agent and then some other like maybe wacky. Old, old, yeah, 50s com- old 50s sci-fi comics like EC. It had like that weird like weird science vibe for me or whatever you know yeah yeah so i dig it a lot so that was uh that was my pick um i i don't i think a couple of you guys are reading it but again it may not fit perfectly in the best ongoing being that it's so new but uh it's my favorite book right now it's funny i really i like remender's indie stuff way more than i like what he's doing for marvel i thought his cap stuff was just okay I, you know, I didn't really like uh, striking as something I really needed to read. And his, you know, stuff on Uncanny is, is kind of also uneven for me, uh, some of his writing. But when it comes to his indie stuff, like uh, like The End League was really great. Uh, John, you mentioned Fear Agent. That's one of my favorite comics of, of, of all time that he's done. And now this kind of seems like a return to form of that, that kind of weird, um, hard sci-fi, like almost heavy metal you know, with the inter- inter- with the influence of like the '50s EC weird science comics too, it was it was really cool. I really liked it a lot. I also saw that you. I wanted to talk to you too, John, because I noticed you had five ghosts haunting of Damian yeah. Gray on your list, and I read that this year too. It didn't make my list though. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? I thought that was a really cool concept, and the art and everything was really great in that. Yeah, I mean it's it was so it's so much fun. It's kind of a another cross, right? It's kind of like Indiana Jones with a little more supernatural and horror elements thrown in. Um and I've never read that EC stuff that everybody talks about all the time, but I would assume the horror uh aspects of Five Ghosts kind of falls into that line as well. Yeah, that kind of retro um, look that it has, like with the the production design and the book itself, and like the fonts and everything, it kind of reminds me of that, or like the '60s gold key horror comics, like um, yeah, Doctor Specter, you know, or stuff like that. So I, I love the look of that book and the, the guy being possessed by the five different ghosts that give him those different abilities. I think it's a really cool hook for the story. I really enjoyed that one a lot too. It it just didn't make my list. Right. I guess a couple I had in my uh, top five for best ongoing. I'll, I'll shout out real quick. I've talked about Injustice Gods Among Us before, and uh, 
on Jupiter's Legacy. I think I mentioned it uh, before. So instead, I would like to talk about Archer and Armstrong and the, the cool stuff Valiant did this year. Um, they, they have this like small, easy-to-follow, cohesive universe that's well-written with good art. And, I mean, you don't have to break the bank to get every single comic to, you know, fill in every part of the story. But if you do read the entire, you know, line of comics, it, it does all fit together uh, really well. It kind of reminds me of, like, the early days of Marvel when it was easier to follow everything. And Archer and Armstrong is just a pure, cool adventure story. The the one guy is a is a, 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 a teenager who's trained from, from birth to be the world's most deadly assassin. And his partner is, a you know, an immortal, drunken poet who looks like Chris Farley in a, in a rumpled suit. Uh, and uh, it's just, they have all these really cool adventures against secret societies who are pitted not only against them, but against each other. And the, it's written by Fred Van Lente, who, you know, has written a lot for Marvel and stuff. And uh, I think it's the best book Marvel, uh, Valiant puts out. It's just a lot of fun to read every, every uh, month. Uh, Jordan, you want to shout out a few things that are on your top five? Uh, yeah, one that really sticks out to me is one that's actually going to be ending soon, and this will probably be no surprise to listeners, but, uh, The Superior Spider-Man is one of those books that is so much better than it has any right to be, and has remained so much fun for way longer than I would have ever expected. Uh, Doc Ock in the driver's seat as Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, um, doing his best to be the superior Spider-Man and sometimes succeeding and sometimes just making things inevitably much, much worse for when Peter returns, which we know will be happening happening in uh, April, I believe it is. But I, I'm amazed that every issue that comes out, I'm still just loving it and that it hasn't gotten old yet. It has been so much fun. Yeah, they've done a lot of, uh, Slot's done a lot of cool things with the idea. A lot of, I mean, when I first heard the pitch of the idea, I'm like, mm, this might be cool for about six months or so, but he's really like sustained this, this concept and really gotten some good stories out of it. I mean, absolutely. Spider-Man has minions with giant robots now. It's awesome. And one, at one point he tries to like mind, mind erase and mind control the Sinister Six to do his like crime fighting work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because why not? Of course, why not? Russ? So a couple on my list, uh, first and foremost is Thor God of Thunder, which I just was incredibly impressed with all year long. I mean, the God Butcher, the God Bomb, they did that follow-up issue that took place uh, after the fact that was kind of like a slow, quiet issue, um, issue number 12. I, I thought the art was just outstanding. Ribic just really killed it for most of the year. Um and then the other one is Batman Beyond 2.0, which is a digital first book that I've just been gushing about every chance I can, and I absolutely love it. The uh, the Batman Beyond stuff went on sale recently, didn't it? Was that the was that the 2.0 that did, or did they just put the original on the uh, in Comicsology? Yeah, the the Batman Beyond uh, and the and the 2.0 digital first stuff has always been 99 cents. But they did have a massive sale about the six-issue mini that was there before. Uh, they actually were going to have it be an ongoing, and I think they decided to move the ongoing to a uh, a digital first, you know, biweekly. Uh, so all that stuff went on for ninety-nine cents, uh, ninety-nine cents, and then the two series before that all went for ninety-nine cents. So, yeah, it's been recently. It was like a bonanza of really cool Batman Beyond books on Comicsology for super super cheap. And they just re rebooted uh, Justice League Beyond too, didn't they? 
Yeah, that's also uh, 2.0. So 2.0. they're kind of doing where they did like a year's worth of the first, you know, the first book, and then they're calling 2.0, which is like the second year of the book. Uh, and they both had a, a year jump forward. So I, I highly recommend both of those. But Batman Beyond 2.0 for me and, and the in the pre, in the preceding series uh, are just absolutely fantastic. So I, I can't recommend those two enough. Yeah, it's really funny. Like I'm, I guess I'm ostensibly the last DC guy standing <laughs> since Ken is, you know, kind of on hiatus or whatever. But the only DC books I buy anymore are the digital books: uh, Injustice, Batman Beyond, Justice League Beyond. Um, uh, what am I forgetting? There's one more. Oh, Batman sixty six. But uh, it's it's just that's all the DC I get anymore. It's just been a, a real bonanza for indie comics uh, this year. I mean, and and you can tell. Very much so by our number one pick this year, which is uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' Saga is our pick for the duty of best ongoing series. Second year in a row. Second year in a row. I mean, I don't know, man. It's just Brian K. Vaughn has just been hitting out of the park pretty much, except for his work on Under the Dome, the TV series. <laughs> Everything he's been doing lately has been gold. Um yeah. I mean, Private Eye was great, and and Saga Saga continues to be this just rich, interesting world with with you know really well realized characters. I mean, the Will Gwendolyn, you know. I mean, just I don't know, just no other comic like it out there, really. How do you in this day and age of every successful comic becoming either a television show or a movie series? How do you think Saga would work better? I'd almost want to see it like as an animated HBO series, just so you could keep that art style, because that art style and me, and that world to me are kind of like inextricably linked. And I don't know if that would work as well in live action. I think for me, the the deciding vote between TV or movie would really depend on how the series wraps up as a whole, because it's one of those things where you really need to see what's the end point before you can say, okay, what's the best way to split this up and present it? But I do agree, I think an animated, um, be it traditional or CG or, or some mix, would probably be the coolest way to go. Yeah, it would probably be either really bad or impossible to do some of the characters on tv in a live action you know in terms of like effects or makeup yeah. or it would be like the most expensive show ever or it just wouldn't look right there's some things that just look really cool in a comic that don't look good in real life like wolverine I... jello suit yeah, yeah. <laughs> i thought you said jello for a second I was or really wolverine's jello that would be tough too <laughs> we just, we just got to get rough boxy to do it. it'll be fine i, I know one of the reasons that um, I, and I've heard this that that um, Vaughn went to Image with Saga is that he doesn't want it turned into any sort of property. Like he has no intentions of it being a movie or a TV show or anything else. But like anything else, if somebody flashes enough money in your face and gives you the control you want, I, I would say never say never. But yeah, I think if they if they give him creative control on the script and stuff, he might uh, he might change his mind. Yeah, but I think overall it's going to be a tough one to translate. And like Jordan says, depending on how it ends, to me would dictate whether or not it would make a good, uh, you know, movie or maybe a twofer, you know, movie or a, a TV show. But uh, I, I think in with today's TV viewing audience, I think that would be cost prohibitive. 
No doubt. Okay, um, now that we've gushed enough about Saga, let's move on to Best Single Issue. Okay, our next category is Best Single Issue. And this is just what it says, the best single issue that was put out in 2013. And, and John, you have an interesting choice that I, I heard about, but I haven't gotten to read yet. Uh, Velvet Number 1. Yeah, Velvet Number 1 is uh, really cool. It's the Brubaker and Epting image comic. It's a female spy they do a lot of bouncing back and forth between current times and like Cold War era stuff where she sort of started her career. And uh, the first issue was just really great. It's kind of like got a James, a female James Bond feel to it. And, uh, you know, I liked it a lot. And I, I love most of Rucka's stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of a lot of the things that he's put out in the past. Um, again, with my limited choices for stuff that I read this year... Uh, Black Science number one and Velvet number one, definitely at the top. Sweet, I, I really like Ruckus stuff on Queen and Country, uh, you know, the whole spy stuff. So, uh, my single issue choices this year were kind of wide and all over the place. I mentioned Private Eye earlier when I talked about uh, Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, I really wanted to shout out my number two choice, Supermag by Jim Rugg, who's a local artist here in Pittsburgh. He does Aphrodisiac, um, which is basically if uh, if Jack Kirby drew a Black Dynamite comic book. Uh, it would be aphrodisiac. It's just really awesome. Um, mix of like sixties, uh, comic, uh, sensibilities and seventies black exploitation. Uh, he's done street angel. He's done all this stuff. And this year he came out with a comic called super mag. It's kind of a magazine sized issue, but he does all these different art styles going back to like golden age comics, silver age comic, uh, impression, you know, impressionistic art style, the kind of indie comic art style, you know, like a narrative style, all these different styles, all in one book. That's, it's all him. Um, he's just an amazing artist in this, you know, one comic is kind of a tour de force for him. Uh, it's really cool. If you, if you check it out, Jim Um, it's called super mag. I think it's like five or six bucks. I picked up at heroes con so I could have him sign it. Um, he's really incredibly talented. My number one single issue this year, uh, because I'm such a, a fan of the original series was Sandman Overture 1 by Neil Gaiman and, uh, and J.H. Williams. For a Sandman fanatic like me, it was like a, it was like a, a cheeseburger pizza. You know, it was like the best of both worlds. Uh, to have J.H. Williams art and, and Gaiman writing a new um, Sandman script. So that was my number one single issue this year. For me, I really loved Lock and Key Alpha number two. I, I wasn't sure what to expect with Lock and Key's Alpha uh, final arc, final mini, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, issue one kind of wrapped up just about everything with the story. So you knew issue two, the final lock and key issue of the main storyline, was going to be epilogue mostly. And that can, I, I run hot and cold with epilogues. Sometimes they're necessary, sometimes they're not. And I know lock and key alpha number two got a lot of flack for being... I don't know if sappy is the right word, but leaning more on sentiment than other stuff. But for me, it totally worked. It didn't quite bring me to tears like an FF23, but it was close. And there was a, a, quite a few little clever twists in the epilogue that I didn't expect that made me very happy. So uh, for me, I, I think I'm going to mention Lock and Key Alpha number two. Also, as a as a brief mention, Superior Spider-Man number nine, which was uh, Peter versus Ock inside of Peter's head. Uh, was heartbreaking and awesome. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to read uh, Lock and Key Alpha number two yet. I didn't love number one, so 
let me ask you this. Did you love number one? Did you think two was better? Did you, did you think they were both great? I think I liked two more. One was... Well, I mean, one was fine, but it was much more inevitable. You know, kind of the same same way you might talk about, like, a Breaking Bad finale, which was even people who complained about it, they weren't really complaining that it was bad, just that nothing really surprised them. The stuff that happened was the stuff that needed to happen to wrap up the story. And for me, it was kind of the same way with Lock and Key Alpha 1, and 2 was the epilogue, but that's where you got all the surprises. Or, or right. most of the surprises, I would say. But I, I didn't hate one, I just, you know, it was fine. Didn't blow my mind or anything. I can't wait till we wrap that up in future episodes because I, I have a lot to say about that and I overall I was not as uh, happy with it as you were I'll, I'll leave it at that until we talk about it more in depth that's fine can't wait to discuss it absolutely so a couple of mine that were tops on my list uh, for a best single issue I've already talked about Thor God of Thunder number 12 quite a bit uh, East of West number one was really big. So good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really high on my list as well for a variety of reasons. Not that the other issues weren't really good, too, but it's rare that a number one issue just grabs you and, and pulls you into the story. And Dragota's art and I think it was Martin on the colors. The, the book was just absolutely gorgeous. And for me, that says a lot when you can take a new concept that's a little far out there and be able to suck the reader in and, and have you really dying to read more, I think that that is praiseworthy for sure. And so it, it, the, the book has just been um, pretty solid ever since then. So that that's uh, pretty high on my list. Russ, did you get a chance to read East of West number six yet? Uh, that's the one with the Texas Rangers. Yes, I did. Yes, 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 yes. I think, uh, as much as I loved issue number one and all the issues since then, I think six was probably my favorite so far in just the way it kind of mixed the Lone Ranger and Judge Dredd and hats with built-in mustaches. There was just something really fun, particularly fun and quirky and different about issue six that really stood out to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The only reason I think one edged it out was just because Number one issues don't really stick the landing and really do that good job of of making you invested in the story and want to come back for a second issue. We see so many first issues that really aren't aren't really that great, you know, that don't really do the good job of hooking you. And for for in my opinion, for Hickman and Dragota and company to really just just stick that landing of hooking you into a story that that's what really edged it out for me. Oh, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. It's a really enthralling first issue. Yeah. Our number one uh, best single issue for 2013 was Black Science number one by Rick Remender. And uh, we already kind of sung its praises uh, uh, a bit already. And it's it's our number one best single issue. It was a great first issue. It really hooked me uh, into the story. It really wanted me to get issue two as soon as it came out. Um, it had like that, like we said, that cool mix of, of sci-fi hyperviolence and uh, kind of weird horror aspects. It was just really well done. Like I said, uh, Remender when he's on indie stuff, his own stuff really kind of uh, blows my mind. Um, I wish he'd do more like that. Our next uh, category is uh, best mini arc and event. And while you probably have can guess from our coverage this year what our best mini arc event was is. Um, we have some other ones to talk about. 
Um, John, did you want to talk more about uh, your your choice? I, I went with Five Ghosts, the the haunting of Damian Gray. I mean, we, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier already, but uh, you know, very cool, just very different from what I usually read. I'm usually like a straight superhero uh, comic book reader. And uh, I'm really enjoying the the horror and the sort of, again, Indiana Jones adventure feel to this book. And uh, as you mentioned also, Jim, the art style, you know, making it look like, a, I don't know, a 70s, 60s comic book uh, where more of these types of stories were written. Uh, it's just been a lot of fun. And it's interesting that, you know, the, the this mini was supposed to be it. And I guess it did so well and the buzz was so strong that now five ghosts is an ongoing so that's pretty cool i look forward to continuing yeah that's great i really um that was like a real surprise for me i kind of came out of nowhere and i saw it just kind of blew me away because it was all kinds of stuff i love um wrapped up into into one package Uh, yeah and i should i should mention that it's written by uh frank barbieri and uh chris mooneyham does the penciling and inking and coloring so we should definitely give them credit for the stuff that we're talking about. Oh yeah. Um, my my uh, best mini arc event this year. There were so many. There were a lot of really cool ones that came and went. You know, Locking Key Omega, and uh, of course, is a, a big one for us because we've been covering Locking Key since the beginning. Um, I wanted to shout out Breath of Bones by Steve Niles and and Dave Wachter, just because Dave Wachter is such an amazing artist, and uh, it came out in a beautiful hardcover edition this year. All the entire mini series. Um, just really cool story about golems in World War II. And uh, if you know Dave's art style, the way he draws monsters, you know that really, really fits with uh, with what he does. But my favorite uh, mini this year kind of came out of nowhere for me, uh, just out of a ra- random recommendation from a, from an email, was uh, uh, Jimmy Robinson's uh, lo- Five Weapons. And I've talked about it on the Long Box of Doom show before. Um, the the best, you know, the elevator pitch is imagine if Hogwarts, uh, trained assassins instead of wizards, you know, and you have different houses with different disciplines of assassination and, uh, all these kids learning how, you know, various and sundry ways to kill. And, uh, the, the story follows the, the new kid at the school who is, um, like a Sherlock level um, intellect, you know, like his, he's always the smartest kid in the room, no matter what's going on. And his, his weapon turns out to be his own mind. Uh, it's the best way I could describe it, but it's a cool kind of semi anime, uh, uh, art style. And, um, the story kind of just blew me away out of, uh, again, out of nowhere. I'd never heard of it before. I just decided to pick up the first issue on a whim and I got hooked, but that was my favorite mini this year was five weapons. Uh, Jordan, you want to tell us about an old man with an eye patch? <laughs> yeah, the one I'm, I'm mentioning uh, for this category is a little bit of a stretch because it's more of a maxi series. Technically, it's 13 issues, but it was cer- certainly a finite book um, as designed, and that's Fury My War Gone By. If you've been missing old, angry <laughs> Nick Fury in the Marvel Universe, um, this is a book you want to check out. It's following Nick Fury all the way from... I want to say the Korean War, but maybe the Bay of Pigs. I forget which one. Um, But all the way up through some stuff in the modern day, or close to modern day at least. Um, Going through, like I said, Korea, Bay of Pigs, um, Vietnam, and some other missions as well that he may or may not have taken part in. But it's telling this this story, beginning, middle, of end, beginning, middle, end, end, rather, of 
his interactions with some very specific people throughout those years and how those people influenced him and he influenced them um, around these missions. Um, it was really, really satisfying, though. So I would definitely, definitely mention that one. It was really fun. Yeah, I totally agree. I I read the first six. I plan on getting it in, like, I'm sure they're going to do some kind of oversized hardcover treatment at some point. Uh, and I, I plan on getting it then. But I, I just love old, cranky, grizzled Nick Fury. Uh, and, and just the, the framing sequence of this being a look back on his life as he's kind of writing his memoirs or recording his memoirs was a really cool uh, concept. So I agree with you. Who's writing it? It was uh, Garth Ennis, I believe. Yeah. So my uh, pick for best mini arc or event, uh, I've gushed enough, I think, at this point about Thor, uh, God of Thunder. So uh, enough enough said about that. But uh, one of the other ones high on my list was Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. Dark Horse has been basically taking the Darth Vader and instead of making it an ongoing, has been making it really just a series of miniseries. You know, they've done Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison. They've done this one. The newest one they've got now is Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows. Uh, and they're they're all very, very well written. Uh, and it and it really gives a, a cool portrayal of this kind of tortured Vader who's trying to find his place in the early, early, early days of the Empire. Uh, and this this ninth assassin thing was really cool uh, where, you know, it's 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 the story of nine assassins that basically co- try and come after Vader to kill him uh, and and they stretch it out over this ninth assassin that that tried to, to kill him in his story. Uh, and things tie in from previous miniseries, not intimately so. I mean, you could absolutely read these independently and uh, and it not be such a big, big deal. But but this one was was the big one that came out this year. Uh, and I was really, really happy with it. I'm going I'm to be very sad when Dark Horse loses the license, even though with with Marvel's uh, talent on hand, uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll do fine with it. They had the license to begin with. But Dark Horse is really they've had some ebbs and flows. But I think in the last couple of years, in the last, I'd say, five years, they've really treated the license well. And uh, and I'll, I'll be sad to see it go. Well, I think they kind of set the gold standard for licensed comics. I mean, if you look at some of the licensed comics before Dark Horse, you know, started doing like Buffy and Star Wars and things like that, the quality was generally pretty low. Let's not forget Alien versus Predator, which, you know, kind of, you know, really set the bar for that franchise. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I think Dark Horse really set like this gold standard for setting up uh, and doing well by... Uh, um, you know, third party or by franchises like that. And I think it's going to be hard for Marvel to really, you know, live up to that in a weird way. You know what I mean? Even with, like you said, even with yeah. the, um, even with the talent they have on hand, you know, they're, they, they have a high bar to, to hurdle over, I guess is the best way that I could put it. But none of those were our number one. Oh no, 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 no. That would have been far too easy. Far too simple. Our number one this year, of course, we did like a several, uh, uh, episodes on Long, Long Box of Doom, and we're in danger of becoming the Jonathan Hickman all-fan podcast. It was, of course, Infinity from Marvel. And uh, everything we've said about it uh, before on the show is still true. It's epic, it's huge, it was great, had nice character moments, beautiful art, good story. Anybody else? I just want to say that, like I've been saying uh, numerous times already, I wasn't reading Marvel for most of the year. And I jumped into Infinity really late, and I just did... I started New Avengers from number one, 
and I read Infinity and some Avengers comics, not from number one, just the ones after Infinity started. Uh, and I found it really easy to pick up. You know, I, I was able to, with new Avengers, I was pretty able, you know, I was pretty much able to get up to speed and enjoy Infinity. And um, I liked the scope of it and, you know, the way things turned out. I liked the way that it was contained. It didn't hijack a million books. It didn't seem like. I mean, I know there were definitely Infinity crossovers, but I think it was kind of the reader's choice whether they wanted to pick those up. You know, it wasn't necessary in understanding the story. And this one for me, and it could be different for you guys because you were reading Marvel throughout, it seemed like this event was under the radar for me. Like it's the previous events I was felt like a lot of hype for and and subsequently I was disappointed by them. And this one seemed like it was under the radar. Maybe my expectations were lower and it just like was a pleasant surprise for me. Uh, I feel like they did the same amount of, you know, press stuff and uh, you know, postcards at the comic shop and posters and that kind of stuff as they did with any other event, but I don't know. You know what I noticed is not on anyone's list? Age of Ultron. Yeah. Because it was terrible. Yeah, that probably has something to do with it. Or Battle of the Atom. <laughs> what was that? Oh. <laughs> that was the uh, big X-Men crossover this year, I believe. That was Bendis not sticking the landing yet again. Oh, Bendis. Yes. When will we ever learn, us comic buyers, that you just can't finish the story anymore? I just wish you'd stick with... If you'd stick with powers, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I mean, just to follow up on Infinity, it's something I've mentioned before, but just the cohesiveness between Avengers, New Avengers, Infinity, not just from a storytelling standpoint and an event standpoint, but from an art standpoint. Um, it's, it's just very rare that somebody... And I credit Hickman to this a lot, you know, more so than Marvel proper or editorial or even even the the distinct artists because Hickman is is a graphic designer. He's an artist himself. He has very tight control over the look and feel of the books. I mean, we talked about the Hictogram a lot, which taught you the, you know, the reading order. Uh, so for for this for those books to feel like you know, when you get that oversized hardcover and all that stuff is in one volume, it's going to be really cool to read that story with new Avengers and Avengers, you know, woven into it. And it just feel very consistent from start to finish. Um, and even issues, you know, where Opeña and Weaver were doing the art in the same book, it just their styles aren't 100 percent alike. But between the coloring and then I think each one of them may be adjusting just a hair. It, it just works so well, and I think that's what really pushes this event over the top for me, and I, I know you guys, uh, for the most part, feel the same way, but, but over events in the past, I mean, I can't see an event, maybe like Civil War that I was really just kind of happy with uh, how it turned out. Maybe House of M. I think House of M, prior to that, was, was one of those events that just really, I was really, really happy with um, from start to finish, which is funny because that was Bendis um, as well, but but for Hickman to really just kind of take us and run with it, I thought was just outstanding. Well, and speaking of uh, epilogues again, like I did with Lock and Key, I really loved the epilogue of Infinity, which I believe was New Avengers 12, 11 or 12. But I, I just loved how Hickman took 
you know, a Star Wars A New Hope ending and then tacks on an epilogue. I, would, I don't want to say tacks on an epilogue because that makes it sound negative, but then gives you the epilogue, which turns a New Hope ending into an Empire Strikes Back ending. Oh, yeah, you you won this uh, this little war, this little skirmish of yours. Good job. I hope you feel happy because this is going to seem like a walk in the park compared to this and that and the other thing that are all coming next. So uh, you just enjoy your little victory. It meant nothing. Way to rain on the parade. <laughs> Black Swan. <laughs> you unreliable narrator, you. And then finally, uh, in our comics cat, um, our next comics category is best trade paperback, hardcover, or original graphic novel collection. And there were a lot of really good ones this year. Uh, this was a really tough one for me because I've really I've gone to only reading digitals and then trades or, or hardcovers or original graphic novels. But uh, John, I see of Lone Wolf and Cub Omnibus. Yeah, the third volume of the Lone Wolf and Cub Omnibus came out from Dark Horse uh, this year. It's a really, it's kind of like digest sized, but they're super fat. They're like, you know, a few inches thick. Um, great way to catch up on Lone Wolf and Cub, which I had never read previously. Um, and I agree with Jim. It's actually a great point that it's harder to do this for digital readers because I may I may jump on a sale where I grab 10 issues of you know said book and yeah I guess they are also a trade paperback somewhere um, but I don't really consider them a trade or a graphic novel when I'm just reading a you know a chunk of issues at one time it, it sort of makes it a little m- more difficult to to think about um, one other book I just wanted to mention, and I, you know, I'm unprepared, and I don't have the author and and uh, artist and things like that. But uh, Top Shelf put out a book called Monster on the Hill. It's sort of like a, I wouldn't say a children's book. I would say maybe like a tween age book. I was in the library trying to get the reluctant reader, ten uh, year old, to uh, find something to read, and uh, the cover caught her eye. And a really cool sort of cartoon dragon on the cover. And so we grabbed it and she read the whole thing uh, front to back. And we were back at the library in a few days looking for different graphic novels that maybe she could get into and stuff. So um, I didn't read it personally, but it really engaged my 10-year-old, which gives it votes for me. Because anything that can make her sit for more than like a 20-minute period and read is, you know, tops in my book. So uh, I did want to give Top Shelf a mention for that one. Sweet, that's awesome. Um, the, I uh, I had a whole bunch of choices in in this category, but um, I wanted to shout out really quickly. Uh, Hip Hop Family Tree is by my friend Ed Pisker. Uh, came out this year. It's on a lot of top ten lists actually. Um, CBR has given it really great reviews as well, Cotton Comics Journal and whatnot. And it's a, a graphic novel retelling of the history of hip hop from the beginning to the end. He's going to end up doing, I think, six volumes in all, and this was the first volume. He even has gone so far as to go back and to find the color palette from like the 70s comics that came out at the same time as the, uh, the hip hop artist that he's uh, drawing and writing about. Um, even, and now what he's writing about, uh, 90s, he's working on, he's showing some advanced art about 90s comics, uh, um, or 90s rap artists he's drawing in a 90s style, like a Rob Liefeld style. So he's like reflecting the comic art in the style of the way he's drawing these, these hip hop artists. And it's really cool. Um, it's in like a giant old school treasury edition, you know, the oversized, um, 
uh, book, book cool. and uh, it's just a really, really uh, interesting book. If you're into hip hop at all, even a little bit, I mean, I'm, I'm no huge hip hop historian or whatever, but it, this book was super interesting to me. Um, Nowhere Men Volume One was really great. Uh, Eric Stevenson from Image. This book just had a really great look to it and a really great, interesting story, and it wasn't like anything else on the stand. And um, the the I think the one I wanted to shout out the most that would probably be the Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four Omnibus that came out uh, this year. Uh, his entire run of Fantastic Four in one book. Uh, I can't recommend that highly enough. So I indirectly got to collaborate on the cover of Hip Hop Family Tree. How was that? Uh, Ed was on Facebook uh, soliciting ideas of iconic hip-hop artists that he could put around the edge of the cover. Oh, right. Um, I don't know if it was that the cover of every version or was that like a special thing he was working on where he did like the – I guess in the 90s at some point, Russ, maybe you can help me. There was a Marvel cover that around the border it was, was the, just like all the different heroes. The, the 25th anniversary 25th anniversary for Marvel, yeah. yeah. Right, that, yeah. So he was sort of uh, emulating that with hip-hop heroes. Right. And uh, I named a couple that he didn't have, and he said good ones. And sure enough, on the next version, my guys were on the cover. So yeah. I'm sure a lot of people did that for him. But Well, not like you. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody else said bust the rhymes. Oh, well, there you go. And he lends himself to a cartoon so well. But uh, yeah, that's for the free comic book day cover that he's doing with Africa Bombada in the center. Yeah, the 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 art for the advanced art for Volume Two is incredible. He does he does Africa Bombada and the Soul Sonic Force looking like Jack Kirby's Celestials, like looking down on Earth. He like he even showed like the Jim Lee splash page that he kind of stole this one. Uh, uh, posed from. It's just really, really great stuff. He's really, really, really thoughtful about what he's doing and just really awesome book. So, and he used to come to, uh, you know, the Dr. Sketchy events at Gypsy back when he was like 15 or 16 and just wouldn't, you know, didn't really talk to anybody and just kind of kept to himself and everything. And now he's, he's blowing up everywhere. Rightfully so. He's a talented dude. Russ, tell us more about your Wolverine Adamantium edition. What more is there to say? It's a book that can double as a table. How many people have you killed with it? Uh, I better not to say. Will you the use it as your own <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's just, it's outstanding. It's just the most ridiculously huge, decadent book you could possibly own. Uh, but it has every great Wolverine story in there, um, which, which it was really the impetus for me buying it. You know, having the Weapon X stuff, having, um, you know, Miller's miniseries in there, having a couple other assorted issues that they threw in there uh, made it just really worthwhile. It's 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 in a, I mean, it's like a box within a box kind of thing. It's 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 in a slip cover in a box. And it's just really, really cool. I mean, it's, it, they're they're kind of ridiculously expensive. They're doing more of these. They're they're doing an, uh, one on they're actually doing an X-Men one. Um, but it reprints a lot of stuff that I have in other large size editions, so I'll probably skip those. For all the stuff in the in the, the X Men one coming out, I have all of the single issues for all that stuff, and it just it just wouldn't make sense. They're also doing a I think it's one on either the Avengers or just Marvel in general. They're doing another one that's going to have some uh, some cool stuff in it. So it seems like this is this is going to be a trend moving forward. Um, but this Wolverine one, like I said, it's just it's just phenomenal and fantastic. 
The other one I wanted to give a quick shout out to is the Colossal Conan. And it's the first 50 issues of not the old Marvel stuff, but the new stuff that that Dark Horse did when they kind of rebooted, you know, their own run of Conan with, I think, uh, Kurt Busiek and Tim Truman are are in that run. And it's it's again, it's it's one of those it's bigger than an omnibus. It's it's really it's it's maybe like absolute size, maybe just a hair bigger than that. But again, it's like almost a thousand. It's it's over a thousand pages. Um, and it's just a really cool book. That one I don't own, but I've seen it uh, several times. They've got uh, several copies of it at Austin Books, and I've been able to look through it. And it's just a really, really cool uh, collection of that Dark Horse Conan stuff. Sweet. Well, we kind of have a tie here in our voting for the best uh, uh, OGN hard hardcover or trade uh, between the John Byrne Fantastic Four Artist Edition and the Animal Man Omnibus. Now, I just want to say real quick, I got the Animal Man Omnibus uh, as a great deal at uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con this year. And, you know, say what you will about Grant Morrison. Uh, you know, love him, hate him, like him. I'm kind of in the middle. I like some of his stuff, but not all. Animal Man is some of his strongest stuff. He's really kind of trying, I, I don't want to say like showing off for DC, but he's definitely trying to, you know, show DC with this comic what he's, you know, what he's capable of and what he can do. And, uh, I don't know, it's just really cool. I never got to read the entire Animal Man run all in one sitting like that before, and I'm glad I did. It was really cool, and it's a really nice uh, addition, too. So. But, uh, I guess the, tell me about the John Byrne Artist Edition, which I wish I had. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's, it's not as good as the uh, Daredevil... Um, the, the, the Born Again Omnibus, because that one has, like... Uh, you know, acetate type overlays and, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of notes and stuff on there, but this one's really good. Um, there's, there's, and, and it's not a cohesive story. So there's just a bunch of random issues that make up the book, but again, it's, it's huge and ridiculous. And uh, it's just really cool to see burn raw, you know, just, just seeing the, the pencils and inks and, you know, without the coloring, especially that eighties coloring to kind of, you know, muck it all up and, and just kind of see, you know, again, some notes and seeing the boards for what they are. Um, and, and it's art from start to finish. I mean, the inside covers and the, and the outside covers, uh, on the front and back all are, have art on them. So it, it's just, it's just really well done. I'm, I'm, pr I'm really impressed with these artist editions, uh, overall. And I'm looking forward to, they're going back to press on the Simonson Thor, which I missed the first time. And apparently he's got some acetate overlay type stuff that he's going to include in that book, uh, that, that isn't in the first book, the first edition. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that when it when it finally solicits. Well, they're also doing a Stranko uh, Shield. Yes, collected Shield yeah, uh, Stranko Shield. So yeah, and I heard I heard they're doing another volume of Burns FF. So uh, we'll see. But yeah, there's there's tons of cool stuff coming out with those artist edition, and there's been tons of stuff already. So I, I can't recommend them enough. Yeah, I, I agree that. Um... That uh, Daredevil Born Again was you know, my choice last year. It's definitely a jewel in my collection for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so that run, that's our first rundown of comic categories. I now pass it over to the Honorable Mr. Russell Latham for our individual achievement in comics categories. Yeah, so we'll start out with Best Writer. And I think the winner of this category is going to come as no surprise. And, and a lot of these folks are folks that we've already talked about in the above categories. So we'll probably run through these a little quick. Um, John, why don't, why don't you tell us a, a couple that you have on your list? 
Yeah, I went with Remender for uh, Black Science, as uh, we've talked about already, and Rucka for Velvet. Uh, Gail Simone for her work on Red Sonja, which didn't make my best ongoing, but really enjoying the new Red Sonja, and I never thought I would. I've never read any Red Sonja before. Lazarus, which is a book that I've really been enjoying from Image. Well, most of it, we, you know, we already talked about uh, Brian K. Vaughan, Joe Hill for uh, Lock and Key, Mark Miller for Jupiter's Legacy, which I'm really enjoying, and Fred Valente for uh, Archers and Armstrong. Uh, I had uh, Joe Hill for Lock and Key, uh, his work with, uh, oh, I forget the guy's name, Joe Karamanja, I believe, on The Cape, if any of that came out this year. I don't think it did, but also Thumbprint. And also that uh, miniseries that they did over, I think it was IDW, but the, uh, oh, what was it called? It was called, like, Road Rage, and it was two stories put together, but that was a lot of fun. I know I'm being vague, but it was fun. I just don't remember the title of it. And uh, slot for Spider-Man, I know people give him flack for it, but hey, like I said, I've really been enjoying this. And the um, little bit we got with all new Marvel Now Point One for his Silver Surfer book looks like a lot of fun. What if the Silver Surfer was the Doctor, kind of, in, in some ways? And then, of course, Fraction, kind of, he's on my list for the things I like, like FF, but he's almost off the list for things that were really boring like his Fantastic Four. It's so weird that a, that a writer could take those two books and be so good on one and so just nothing on the other when they're so interconnected. But yeah. Yeah, and he did Sex Criminal and Satellite Sam too, and I read the Neither first... of which have I gotten to read yet. So. Yeah, I read the first issue of both of those, and I was not like, I won't be reading any more of either one. Yeah. So, and I know people... People go crazy about sex criminal, but I just, I don't know. I, I'm not a prude, but I, it just doesn't, it just did nothing for me. Yeah, I kind of agree about both of those books, actually. So my, some of my picks um, were Remender, again, for uh, Black Science and for Captain America. Um, and Jason Aaron, who I think is pretty well known, but maybe went a little underappreciated this year. But that Thor stuff was just awesome. And like I've mentioned before, He's done his exchanges in the letters columns was really awesome because he did them kind of like in character, in tone of the book. So he kind of responded in kind to people's wacky letters that they wrote in. So that was it was a lot of fun for reading the letters column, which I haven't really done in a in a, in a long time where I've literally read every issue's letter columns from start to finish. Uh, and, and Scott Snyder, who, again, Batman, uh, American Vampire, which I've been catching up on uh, this year. I, I think just solid. I mean, he's kind of like the rising star for sure at DC. Uh, and I know he's got some stuff coming up from Image, too. So I think 10 years down the road, I think Snyder's going to be just one of those guys that's going to be, you know, just well, very, very well regarded in, as a comic book writer. I think he's he's going to be like the next Hickman or, or Remender and, and thought of that way. Oh, I don't know. No. I don't know. He, he just has trouble. I mean, he has a Bendis problem of not being able to stick the landing. I mean, look at the end of Death of the Family, and I mean, look at the end of, of The Court of Owls and everything. He has some great ideas, but really didn't go anywhere ultimately with him. Didn't really change anything in the story, which is kind of... I mean, how many times have we seen the Joker fall off a cliff and no body, you know? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I, I dig it. I, I might... like his... I like American Vampire pretty well, but... Um, yeah. I, mean, I liked what he did over on Swamp Thing, but... Um, his Batman stuff just kind of left me cold. Yeah, I think for me, Death of the Family is the only one that I felt didn't really stick the landing. I thought the Court of Owls stuff was 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 well was done well enough, 
Uh, and some of the, his ending of his arcs with American Vampire, I think, have been very good. So I've been I've been pretty happy on that front. Um, but the winner of the duty for Best Writer of 2013 is, by no surprise to anybody, Mr. Jonathan Hickman, who I think is writing everything in comics. I mean, from... <laughs> <laughs> everything good, anyway. Yeah, I mean, from Avengers to New Avengers to Infinity to Manhattan Projects to east of, east west, of west i mean secrets yeah uh, god is dead which i yeah. haven't loved as much but that's beside the point right i mean his body of work and the quality of that body of work is just is pretty incredible and so no no surprise that uh hickman is our winner of the duty for best writer of 2013 so we move on to the next category of best artist and i think jim or uh, i think john has has a few on his as well yeah, again to to bring up Red Sonia, a book that I am enjoying. Uh, Walter Giovanni's doing some great art on some of the issues. Becky Cloonan has done some fantastic covers. Uh, Dynamite's doing the the uh, five covers for every book, you know, for Red Sonia, which they tend to do a lot. And uh, man, I gotta say, I've I've it's hard to hold off on on buying a bunch of them. They all look so good. Uh, Matteo Scalera is doing that black science art, which has a really cool look. It kind of remi- uh, reminds me of uh, the Fear Agent stuff with... Moore, Tony Moore. Yes, it reminds me of Tony Moore style, kind of a mix of cartoony uh, and comic book art, which I like a lot. Uh, and Epting, as we've mentioned, uh, on Velvet, awesome as always. Jim? Lee Bermeo is always a favorite of mine. His art just kind of blows me away. Just really uh, illustrative and just you know, beautiful stuff. Uh, Fiona Staples, of course, for uh, for Saga. Uh, Dave Wachter. Again, I know I know he's a friend of the show, but I still think he's a tremendous artist, and the work he did this year is top notch. And my my number one pick this year actually was Francesca Francavilla uh, for uh, for Hawkeye and for the Black Beetle. Uh, I just I love his art. It's just he's. He's like this marriage of, of like Paul Dini and, and Darwin Cook and a little bit of Mike Magnolia all like, uh, you know, mixed together. And it just really, really works for me. I really like his style. Jordan, what were some of your picks? This year, I really have been loving uh, Umberto Ramos on Superior Spider-Man. And he's going to be picking up with uh, Amazing Spider-Man when that's relaunched soon. Uh, he's another one of those people. It's interesting. They have two very divisive people on the creative team uh, with Spider-Man right now, with Slot on the writing and Ramos on the art. I know a lot of people don't like his stuff, and I, I understand why the poses he makes don't often work in, in actual physical space. That said, for me, he's kind of this generation's Todd McFarlane in a way, in that he is the perfect artist for Spider-Man and just capturing the fluidity of that character and his poses and, and kind of the outlandishness of the human spider that is Spider-Man. And, and for me, that just works really well. So I love his work on there. I don't know that it would work on many other books, but for Spider-Man, he's just kind of perfect. And also, I've been loving, I, I, I think I've said this for several years now, but I've been loving Dustin Weaver's work. Um, he did a bunch of Avengers covers this year. He did a lot of work on Infinity. And uh, he we just announced the other week that uh, Infinity 5 
or rather S.H.I.E.L.D. 5 and 6 of Volume 2 are finally coming, and actually the title of of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. number 6, at least on the script, who knows if this will actually be the released uh, title, I kind of doubt it, but it's finally, Mother Effer, finally, is the title, and I cannot wait to see him and uh, Jonathan Hickman wrap up S.H.I.E.L.D., because uh, the issues we've gotten were awesome, and it's been way too damn long since uh, since the last one came out. Agreed. Yeah, I've been following. Weaver was an artist on a bunch of Star Wars stuff some time back, and so he's been one of those that's been on my radar for before he started doing a lot of the Marvel stuff. Uh, a couple picks for me. Um, again, no surprise, Asad Ribic um, for his stuff on Thor: God of Thunder. Uh, Gabe Hardman for his work on Star Wars Legacy, the new volume two of Star Wars Legacy, uh, which has been really outstanding. And Nick Jagoda for East of West, which I think we've uh, we've talked to death at this point. Um, so the duty for best artist goes to Jerome Opeña. And again, we've we've really pay, praised a lot of Opeña's work, uh, moving from Avengers to kind of doing double duty on uh, on Infinity. And I just I love his style. I love the look of of his books. He did a bunch of stuff uh, for. Remender when he was doing Uncanny X-Force that John and I were really big fans of. Uh, So congratulations, Mr. Jerome Opeña for 2013's Duty for Best Artist. Moving on to Hero or Hero Team of the Year. John? Yeah, I threw Samurai Jack in here for the new IDW comic that started up. It's good. It feels like the television show. It made me go back and rewatch the animated series, which was a lot of fun. Uh, so that's been a good time. Again, Red Sonja I threw in here. I've really been enjoying the new, uh, the new series. Forever Carlisle is the star of Lazarus, which I mentioned quickly earlier. Um, she is a... She is the defender of the Carlisle family, and she is called forever because she cannot die. She is immortal. Um, we don't know how yet, but that's part of the fun of the book. Very cool. And the Call of Duty dog <laughs> is awesome. If anybody's has played Ghosts, um, as you know, in Call of Duty, you get a kill streak. If you get a kill streak of five, you might get a... Um, you know, a supply drop. If you get a kill streak of seven or eight, you might get a uh, you know a better weapon or a uh, helicopter attack. Well, one of them is the Call of Duty dog, which is your escort in the game, and he's so awesome. You run around, your dog is next to you, and if anybody sneaks up on you, the dog like sniffs him out and jumps on him and kills him. And awesome. uh, he is definitely one of my heroes of the year. Fantastic. Nice to have it a little mixed up a little bit with uh, with some video game stuff. In there. Well, I didn't read enough comics, so I got creative. <laughs> it works. Uh, Mr. Dietz? All right, for Hero Hero Team of the Year, I wanted to shout out Fearless Defenders because uh, they are canceled, and it was a really good book, and it really bummed me out. They, they uh, got rid of it so quickly because I was really having fun with that story and those characters. I was really enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, Fearless Defenders had the Avengers, the Galactic version. Uh, which is, you know, the new kind of uh, proactive galactic uh, Avengers world-style Avengers. Uh, the Will from uh, uh, Saga, of course, and uh, Archer and Armstrong. Uh, so some of my uh, runner-ups 
for this year that I'll mention uh, Spock, the Superior Spider-Man. That's S-P-O-C, uh, if you ever see it written. Uh, yeah, he may be a villain in a hero's body, but he's doing his best to be a hero with sometimes hilarious and evilly hel- uh, just awful results, but uh, he's still been one of my favorite heroes this year. Death from East of West. I know almost nothing about this character, but every little tidbit I learn more about him is awesome, and his horse also gets a runner-up because it's just a really cool quote-unquote horse. And then the the one I really want to mention is the Young Avengers. I kind of just happenstancefully, you know, fell into this book. It was awesome. I haven't read any of the previous volumes. I need to go back and check them out. But I loved it from beginning to end, and having it kind of wrap up with it being revealed that this is pretty much an almost exclusively LGBT superhero team in a major, you know, in a big two book is awesome. And the way it worked together to reveal all that was just perfect and didn't feel shoehorned in. It felt like a natural extension of all these characters. I loved it. Well... I had I definitely had death from East of West on my list, um, and not a whole lot else. It was it was nothing really stood out to me strongly this year as as maybe in years past. But at the tops of my list, like the tops of or towards the tops of everybody's list this year, was Thor, and that is our winner of the duty for hero slash team of the year. And I I think this was just a big year for Thor all around. I mean, the I've gushed about Thor, God of Thunder. Uh, very well received in that book, especially the the multiple Thors, where we got to see young Thor, um, old grizzled Thor with the destroyer arm, uh, and the and the eye patch, which was awesome. We got to see you know current Thor, but just the don't fact you mean the berserker arm? The bez- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see shield podcast for, but also for Thor the Dark World, which didn't lead the charts as as far as box office for this year, but. It did become worldwide the third highest grossing Marvel Cinematic Universe movie to date, uh, which I think is pretty significant. It, it cracked 200 million in the domestic box office and then went over 400 million in the foreign box office. So it, it made it rise above to almost 700. So uh, the movie, again, was pretty well received. I think most people felt that it was, it was superior to the first one. So I think it's just a, just a good year for Thor um, all the way around. Amen. So the last comics category we have so far is, just like we have Hero and Hero Team of the Year, is Villain and Villain Team of the Year. John? Shame on all of you for not having Heisenberg on your list. Yeah, but yeah. see, this is the comic book category, so I didn't even think to put it in is there. Is Heisenberg comic book? I don't read enough comic books. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd, who is, Todd. <laughs> who is also from Breaking Bad. And Matt Damon. <laughs> Good old um, Damon <laughs> and Uncle Jack, who's my third, <laughs> my third choice. It's a theme. pretty um, bad trifecta. I sense the theme. Yeah, I couldn't. You're right, Jordan. It is the comics category. I I apologize. Well, we've uh, always I'm adding. We've always mixed it up for this one. I mean, a lot of times the movies have to do with who we place in here, so I th- I think that's perfectly acceptable. And honestly, had I thought about it, I would have had them in my list too. So I'm just messing with you. I also threw in uh, Helena, who is the evil clone in Orphan Black, which I'll leave it at that because I think when we get to TV, we're going to talk about Orphan Black a little bit. Agreed. Jim? I had Arby, who was the um, the villain from Utopia. Cause I, that's why I didn't yell at John. when. Ah, that's why I didn't yes, yell at John, yes, yes. Uh, John for using Heisenberg and stuff, because 
I don't know, that performance by that actor in Utopia who played Arby just really creeped me out in, in a way that like no other villain this year did, so that's why I named him my villain of the year. I mean, he was almost childlike, but yet incredibly menacing. It was like a weird combination of like a killer child and Hannibal Lecter. Creepy. Yeah, just really good performance. And just... He was like Damien if Damien got bigger, but didn't get older necessarily. Right. I just really, that performance really stuck with me, and that's why I kept him as my villain, picked him as my villain of the year. I also have Superman from uh, Injustice Gods Among Us. Uh, he's pretty much, you know, dictator of Earth <laughs> at that point. Uh, oh, the Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which is one of the best comics Marvel is putting out. If you're not reading it, you should be. Um, Amen. That book is just so incredible. Uh, I can't, it can't even put it into words. Just go read it and, and thank me later. And then Loki, for uh, mainly for Hiddleston's performance in uh, in um, Thor: The Dark World, uh, which I thought really made that movie for me. It's telling, Jim. I don't have uh, the Superior Foes on my list, but only because I love that book so much. I almost don't think of them as villains. Uh, they're, they're so well written. But I do have Spock again. I have him for both hero and villain because he definitely fits in both categories. But you're absolutely right. The superior foes of Spider-Man are villains, but uh, I, I almost would want to put them in the hero category. Uh, that said, Spock um, just trying to be good and being good in the most evil way possible, which, which I love, kind of like Superman from Injustice in a way. And then also Arcade from uh, Avengers Arena. It was another one of these books, like a superior Spider-Man, um, or, or this one right here, where Marvel kind of went... Yeah, we know it's a goofy idea, but guess what? We're going to do this goofy idea in the best way you could possibly imagine, and we're going to turn a goofy idea into a really awesome book. And uh, Arcade turned out to be really fun in uh, Avengers Arena, so Arcade goes on my list. Awesome. So kind of like the hero category, I didn't really have anything that stood out other than uh, than the number one, the, the winner, the, the winner of the duty for this category. Um, I think we've, we've hit all the, the high points from the other ones. So the duty goes to the black order from infinity for villain or villain, in this case, villain team of the year. Um, and again, this is another concept of, of characters that kind of were created specifically for this event. These aren't existing, uh, villains that, that came in. So Hickman was able to create, uh, this dastardly set of villains that really resonated with not just us, but I think everybody that was reading infinity uh, and then the crossovers in those books. And I think it just worked really well. And they were all unique enough that they didn't feel, um, you know, like it was just, you know, multiple members of the same you know species or whatever. They were all different, all had their own personalities um, and all had, you know, slightly different agendas going on for some of them. So, I, I was really, really impressed with what Hickman was able to do with, with those characters. Particularly in the way, especially by giving them all their own distinct silhouettes, that they all look different. You, you could all tell they were on the same team, if not always on the same page, certainly, like you already mentioned. Um, and that's what I think really worked the best for them. You always knew which one was which, and when they showed up, something interesting was going to happen. You had a bruiser, you had a more... Um, a divisive character who would get in your head and screw around with it. You had sort of a magic-based character. You had a whole... Basically, you had a, a evil, you know, World of Warcraft team, uh, you know, of your healer and your tank and your wizard and and, uh, and your sniper and all these kind of things. Not that you have snipers necessarily in World of Warcraft, but I thought that really worked well. They all complemented each other. 
even though they would never probably compliment each other. Ever. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Except maybe the husband and wife team, but that's about it. So with the comic book stuff taken care of, I am going to toss it over to Mr. Jordan from Jersey to handle the first uh, media section on television. Yes, indeedy. And our first uh, category in the media section is Best TV Series Drama Slash Action. So I'm going to send it over to John. John, what were some of your runners-up in this category? Uh, I see that we have a lot of common shows in this category, so I'll try to – I'll just name a couple. Um, Orphan Black we talked about quickly. Um, It's a really cool sci-fi clone show on the BBC that uh, will be coming back this year. Uh, Tatiana Maslany is sort of a breakout star. She plays like seven or eight parts in the show. Brilliantly, uh, I should add. Yeah, all clones. We, obviously, they look exactly alike. They all have different personalities, accents, and traits, and um, really a big breakout star. So I, I do want to mention Orphan Black. And, uh, you know, Sons of Anarchy is a show that Russ and I have been talking about for a long time. It had sort of a weak season until maybe the three or four final episodes, and then it just kicked into high gear, and it had a fantastic finale. Yeah. So, uh, Sons of Anarchy again for me. Yeah, and the, one of the, although completely pointless, but probably best Walton Goggins uh, appearance in, in this yeah. season again uh, as the transgendered uh, woman. And it was... Venus. It was just... Yes, it was just uh, really, really creepy. Uh, and I love that she uses the name Van Dam, which um, in in the in the shield, uh, the the main character that Walton Goggins played, uh, he always used as a separate identity the character named Cletus Van Dam. Um, so I just always thought that was funny that he appears in this show as a female, but yet uses the name Van Dam. So I thought. <laughs> I thought that was funny. that is funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah. He also showed up on Community this past week as a very funny character. It's always nice to see some Walton Goggins. Yeah, yeah. Jimothy, what are sh- some of your honorable mentions for best TV series and drama slash action? I also had Orphan Black and Game of Thrones, and uh, my second runner-up was uh, let's see, oh, uh, American Horror Story. I wanted to mention that just because it's so damn weird and crazy and fun and I enjoy it quite a bit so those are my runners up this year on TV for me uh, one of the ones that that I absolutely loved and quite frankly I'll spoil this right now it's on all of our lists it actually came in second but it's the best television show you've never heard of it's called Utopia it's a British shit series that I couldn't spoil if I wanted to but the second series will be coming out soon if you like comic books and hitmen and craziness and conspiracies and awesome art and sound direction all mixed together into just one of the strangest yes most compelling and confusing shows ever track down a copy of Utopia series 1 it's great, and I'll also mention because nobody else has it on their list. Uh, Orange is a New Black from uh, from Netflix. It's one of those shows. It took me a number of episodes to really get into it. I enjoyed it, but around that halfway point, it became just awesome. Also, Doctor Who. We talk about Doctor Who a lot, but I really love Doctor Who. You know, it's funny, Jordan. I put Orange is the New Black in my comedy animation uh, category, and I guess you could definitely say it's a dramedy. Oh, absolutely. So. Uh, yeah, that's on my next list. 
which is weird because you know I, I started watching Weeds this uh, this year, which was the show that the the showrunner from Orange Is the New Black did before this, and I still haven't finished it. It's okay, but I never found that any of the humor really connected with me on a, on a consistent basis. Anyway, you know something's always going to be somewhat funny. You know, even a broken clock is is right twice a day. But uh, Orange is the, New, is the New Black. The humor always really got me, and I really enjoyed that. But for me. I enjoyed it more as a drama than a comedy, but I totally can understand why you would put it there. Uh, Russ, who are some of your runners up in this category this year? So Jim kind of mentioned Game of Thrones. I continue to contend that Game of Thrones is the best uh, series on television. Uh, I have listened to, I can't say I've read all the books, but I don't, I don't, I always wonder like if you, if you listen to the audio book, is that still reading or is that not reading? No, it's listening. Yes, I know. <laughs> That's mine. If your eyes did not go over the words, you didn't read it. I'd count it. It's the same same content. Yeah. Nope. It's, it's... <laughs> it's like if you go to a wine tasting and spit oh, out the wine, can you say really? you've never had Do you the read wine? music, Jordan? <laughs> I, well, I, I can read music. Right, but is that listening to it? <laughs> I'd say it's in the same category. It's in the same category. <laughs> if you can read it, then you know what it sounds like. But you're not listening to it. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I, I love, love, love Game of Thrones. I think what they're doing is phenomenal. I think most of the changes that are uh, have gone away from the book have been for the better. Um, and I just I, I just can't say enough about Game of Thrones. I mean, it, it's getting ready to come back. Uh, it's going to be a little late this year. I think it comes back in April, which last, last year came back at the very end of, of March. Um, so So season four will be... Back soon, and I think it's going to blow everybody's mind. Um, and I have one on my list that nobody else had on their list, uh, which is House of Cards. So to kind of follow that up. That was on, like number six for me. Yeah. It yeah. Been on my list if it was just a little bit longer. So to follow up on uh, on Jordan's Netflix love, I was really impressed with House of Cards. I, When I originally heard about it, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a Kevin Spacey fan. I like Kevin Spacey. Robin Wright, for the most part, I could kind of take or leave. Um, but Kate Mara really kind of was a standout in that show, I think, uh, for me at least. And it really turned out to be pretty phenomenal. And that is getting ready to come back for season two very shortly. Uh, February, uh, sometime in February, is, is season two. Um, so I would shout out House of Cards. And Netflix just put up the first season every episode with commentary. Has anyone checked that out? Because I haven't gotten around to it yet. No, no I haven't yet, which which I'm a big commentary nerd. So I, I'll, I'll have to... I, I've been meaning to rewatch it going into season two. Uh, so I might just put on the... Uh, if they do the subtitles of the show while the audio is going on, I might I might just do that. I'm on the same page. They also put up, I'm sorry, I'm interrupted. They put up the uh, British version of the show as well. Uh, the whole trilogy. That, it's yes. called the House of Cards trilogy. Yes. Uh, the, Which has been sitting in my queue and I have not gotten yeah, to it yet. But. It's available on Netflix <laughs> streaming as well. So the winner for the category of Best TV Series Drama Slash Action will surprise absolutely no one who's heard pretty much anything on this network in the past few years, but our favorite show was Breaking Bad. Uh, no holds barred. This second half of the final season that aired this year was just some of the best television I've ever seen. Episodes that for 20 minutes after I would have to remind myself, you have to breathe or you're going to pass out. Um... The ending was, I wouldn't even say divisive. I would say people either loved it or said it was good, but nothing groundbreaking. It, it, but it certainly didn't drop the ball. And man, Heisenberg, you magnificent bastard. Yeah, I, I think at this point, I don't have anything I can really add. I mean, we've talked enough about Breaking Bad. We've done a podcast on the last half of, of the final season. 
Uh, we gush about it all the time. John used up his Christmas present to uh, show his love of the series. Uh, so it's it's definitely a fan a, a fan favorite for us. And it introduced me to the Marty Robbins song Felina, for which I will for be forever grateful. So there you go. Our next category in the media tel- uh, section is best TV series comedy slash animation. John, what are some of your nominations for best TV series comedy or animation or both? All I really want to talk about is Eastbound and Down. Uh, Danny McBride is a genius. <laughs> the show is over, and it had just about the most perfect series finale of any show that I can think of. You know, it's crazy, it's ridiculous, and it managed to just turn it up for the series finale. And uh, it's been a great show. I've loved all four seasons. You know, it's that silly kind of comedy. Like, if you're not into, like, the Will Ferrell stuff and the, you know, stepbrothers and things like that, you could probably pass it. Um, It combines baseball and stupid comedy which makes it pretty much perfect for me. And I just can't I would I couldn't be any happier with the series finale. So that's my that's my pick. Jim, what do you got? Uh Brooklyn 99, probably the funniest news show on TV, I think. Uh that's not and it's not just from Andy Samberg. The entire cast is hilarious. It reminds me of Barney Miller. Uh that's how good it is. I would compare it to Barney Miller. Um Axe Cop, which is a new cartoon on Adult Swim. Which is pretty sweet. Uh, worth check. With Didn't like a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old came up with the concept of Axe Cop. It is correct. When he was and five, brother, if I remember he correctly, was five, and yeah. now he's nine. And his older brother drew it for him, or yep. something like that. That's exactly. how he now it's an animated series, making thousands of dollars for people. Is that great? Uh, young. I will chop you in half. Young Young Justice, which really, uh, I'm really really mad, got uh, canceled before it could even like finish its storytelling. It was. It was. I would stack it up with, um, along with uh, um, you know, J- Justice League Unlimited or Batman the Animated Series or any of those other DC series. Young, Young Justice was great. I mean, it just was really, really good. And it, it was a shame that they got rid of it because they weren't selling enough toys, evidently, uh, according to Paul Dini. And uh, of course, the rest of the Return of Arrested Development on Netflix, um, classic, great comedy. Uh, for my picks, uh, I will echo your mention of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Jim. It was a huge surprise for me this season. I expected to... I, I, I don't want to say I expected to enjoy it as like a baseline, but I didn't think I would hate it. But I am really loving this show. It, it is just so much fun. Great ensemble cast. Just a very wide and diverse cast. And super, super funny, which I've really enjoyed. I'll also echo Arrested Development. This was a divisive season. Uh, some people, like my co-host on Jersey Shore, Pierce really hated it, and I will agree the tone was a little bit different, but I really liked what they did with the characters and really, you know, delving into them and the changes that they've undergone since the series went off of the air so many years ago, and I really enjoyed that. I I will also mention one of my perennial favorites, and I just saw, right when we were starting to record, a news blurb that they have been renewed for a seventh season, which is amazing. Um, but it just shows you how much in the toilet uh, NBC is that they have to renew even some of their lesser rated shows with the Nielsen's. And that is Parks and Recreation, the show that in my eyes can pretty much do no wrong. 
Every season, it just continues to be great. So many awesome characters, a wide range of supporting players. I've heard people call it a live-action Simpsons, which is strange to me because I don't really like The Simpsons, but in just how well it has realized this town and the many recurring minor players who will show up time and time again. Um, and great guest stars. It's just so much fun, uh, Venture Brothers. Uh, Russ, I see you hate laughter. Is that correct? Because you don't have any nominations in this category. I do. I do hate laughter. I, I am not a big sitcom a comedy guy. I mean, I was a, I was a fan of Eastbound and Down. I just kind of got out of, like, after season two, I kind of uh, fell behind and I just haven't caught up. But I kind of echo John's sentiment on that show overall. I've never watched, I've tried to watch the rest of the development, couldn't get into it. I usually have some animation on this list, uh, but I've been really disappointed with the animation. Avengers Assemble has been okay, but not great. Hulk and the Agents of Smash, again, okay, not great. Ultimate Spider-Man, kind of the same thing. Um, I, th I think they're great for kids, but I think they've took a lot of what was good about some of the other stuff they were doing and have lost it. There's no more Clone Wars. So I'm just for me, it was just really kind of a disappointing year. I mean, the closest maybe if I had to put something on the list, and I haven't even seen that many episodes of it, is the Goldbergs which I find fairly funny, and a lot of that just has to do with the fact that uh, it takes place in the 80s. That just kind of uh, is just one of those things close to my heart. But uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm just not a big, I'm not a big comedy guy. It's so sad. Yes. But the winner this year in our category of Best TV Series Comedy and or Animation is uh, a show that is near and dear to my heart, to Jim's heart, to Pierce's heart. Uh, the Venture Brothers. Uh, it's like a thief in the night. It shows up and just as suddenly it's gone and you don't know when it'll be back again. But unlike a thief in the night, while it's here, it's awesome. Uh, the Venture Brothers, I guess this was season five. We'd waited a long time since season four, but, uh, it pretty much delivered on, on every level. Just every episode had something new, something hilarious, something different, something unexpected. And I'll stop, uh, I'll stop rambling now and let Jim say a few words about the Venture Brothers. It was awesome. Go watch it. That's all, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> our next category uh, in, in media is our favorite actor for television. John, who do you have for us? I went with some uh, Breaking Bad alum. Uh, I will leave someone out. Uh, Aaron Paul, of course, Bob Odenkirk. Can't wait for Better Call Saul. Amen. James Spader is doing great work on The Blacklist, which is a... Very good new television show that I've talked about a little bit on like our BS episodes and stuff. And finally, Matt Smith. I'm just going to give him some props for our for our uh, doctor that is leaving. He's my daughter's favorite doctor. I think he's my favorite doctor as well. And uh, it was a fun run. Jim, who's your favorite actor in television this year? Yes, my uh, my favorite actor uh, is Kevin Spacey for the year. Uh, just because I loved House of Cards so much. And we talked about that earlier, so I, I won't go too far on a tangent on that. But I will. Like, I would like to say, uh, shout out Scott Wilson, who I think is one of the best actors of the year, just for his portrayal of Herschel on uh, Walking Dead. Uh, I thought he really uh, showed a lot of depth to that character, a lot of a lot of real emotion. I thought it was some really good acting going on there. It was really good stuff. Uh, Andre Brower for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because he's... He's really stretching himself to a place I really have never seen him before. I mean, Andre Brower is always known for those tough, intense roles, you know. And in this, he's doing comedy, and he's just doing it so well. It's almost effortless. 
And he steals so many scenes I while know. doing absolutely nothing. It's it's impressive. It's crazy how how well he he like when I first heard the uh, you know, the premise and the cast of Brooklyn Nine Nine, it's gonna be like, okay, well this is gonna be Andre Andre Brower being stern and gruff with crazy wacky you know, uh, Andy Samberg, you know, but. It's so much more than that. And like you said, you're absolutely right, Jordan. I mean, uh, Andre Brower steals so many scenes that he's in just, you know, sometimes without even saying a word, you know. It's just great Did stuff. Did you see the episode yet with him and the puppies? No. No, I haven't seen that oh, one. Oh, dude. I think it was like this past week or the week before. It had me in stitches uh, with him and those two adorable puppies. Um, it, it, I cannot wait to hear your reaction for from it. Boy, he's such a hard guy to read. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Clark, Clark I, Gregg for Agents I, I, of Shield. What was? Oh, sorry. That's cool. Clark Gregg, Gregg for Agents of Shield, just because. Even uh, though I have some problems with the show, he is always, he is consistently good in the show. So. Uh, for me, I'll just mention John Hamm. Uh, this season of Mad Men, he really got to stretch and and go into some directions that the character has not gone in in seasons previous. And I'm really excited to see what they do with their final season that's going to be split up over the next two years. But in particular, I, I when I think of his performance this year, I think really of that last episode with the uh, the pitch he gives to Hershey, and I won't spoil it, and then uh, that final scene with his son and daughter um, in front of a very specific building was just, oh, I, I, those images will be in my head for a long time. I, I agree. Wholeheartedly. Who do you have for us this year, Russ? So, like you, John Hamm was definitely on my list. Um, two, two that I want to point out specifically are Ian DeCastiker, who plays Leo Fitz on uh, Agents of Shield, who I I I love love dearly. I just think he does a, an outstanding job with that character, um, and has me cracking up quite a bit. And the other is Michael Ely from Almost Human, and I oh, really yeah. really love his portrayal of Dorian. Uh, the android and just how he's able to inject some humor into that and just it's 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 kind of funny how he i mean and obviously it's intentional you know he plays a much more human character than uh than than the character that uh uh, carl urban then carl kennex yeah then carl urban's kennex and it's it's just really you know, he's just really done a good job. And I'm finding, even though that show is, I mean, kind of a bland procedural, but there's enough elements in that in that show that I, I just really am enjoying it quite a bit. Oh, there's a lot of fun stuff in that show. Like I said, like I mentioned, I think somewhere else, you know, it, it steals from a lot of places, but it steals from good places. You know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a little Blade Runner, a little, uh, you know, Minority Report here and there, you know. And uh, and Lily Taylor does a really good S. Epatha Murkison imitation, you know, from Law and Order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, good, good one. Our winner this year will probably surprise no one. John already hinted at it a little bit earlier, but our favorite actor in television for 2013 is Mr. Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad, Infamy, uh, Say My Name, and all those other brilliant scenes. Uh, this was the season where we really got to see him uh, brought to his lowest, uh, brought to his lowest while being hoisted on his own petard, to mix some metaphors. And, oh, it's just Ozymandias and and, and uh, the, the episode in the cabin and all those other things, him and his daughter. 
in that show. I, so many things I don't want to spoil for people, but just so many amazing moments. Um, we've all got Brian Cranston on our list, so who else wants to jump in with some some accolades for Mr. Cranston? I am speechless at the <laughs> amazing work of Mr. Cranston. Who would have thought, right? Who would have thought that uh, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle yeah. had that in him? It's definitely the performance of a lifetime. Yeah, no, no question. No question. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what else is there to say? I mean, Heisenberg. Say my name. And on the flip side, our favorite actresses in television. Uh, John, give us a few of yours. Maggie Siff for her uh, portrayal of um, Tara on on Sons of Anarchy. Uh, spoiler alert, she met her terrible demise at the end of this past season. And uh, she was really my favorite on the show for, for all the years that it was running. So I wanted to give her... A little shout-out. Uh, the ladies of Breaking Bad, Anna Gunn, Betsy Brandt, and uh, the counterpart to Russ's pick of uh, Ian DeCastiker is Elizabeth Henstridge, who plays Agent Simmons on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and she is both talented and adorable. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if you look up the word adorable in the dictionary, her picture is right there. Yes. Yes. Weird mom jeans and all. <laughs> I had uh, my my list uh, starts with Robin Wright from uh, House of Cards. She, as much as Kevin Spacey, just sold that show for me. I just thought she was awesome on that show. It's a really powerful portrayal. Uh, Jessica Lange from uh, American Horror Story, Coven, uh, and and that's saying something considering the rest of the cast of that. I mean, Angela Bassett, Kathy Bates, um, just really uh, 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 um, Gabrielle Sidibe, I mean that that uh, that cast is just incredible, and she was like the the leader of that pack. What a what a great casting and a cool show. Uh, Ming Na from Agents of Shield. It's whenever she's on the screen, I'm interested. Um, and you know, even though I'm annoyed by some of the other characters, <clears throat> Sky. And I, I had to give some props to Anna Gunn from uh, uh, you know Skylar from uh, from Breaking Bad. I thought her performance was you know some, for a character that was so hated for so long in the earlier part of the show. I thought you know her, her performance is pretty pretty measured and pretty deep uh, and all everything you know all, all things told. Uh, the only one on my list who's not actually our winner would be Miss Kate Mara from House of Cards. I, I really loved her performance in in the show. I've seen her in a few other things recently, and uh, I I think she's really a rising star in, in actresses right now. It's just, but particularly in House of Cards, just is she a good guy? Is she a bad guy? How devious is she gonna get? Uh, I really enjoyed that performance, and uh, she's a cute redhead to boot, so uh, nothing wrong with that. Russ, who do you have for us? So pretty high up on my list, other than the ones we've mentioned so far, uh, is Elizabeth Moss from both Mad Men playing Peggy Olsen and from the Netflix show that originally, I think it was a BBC production, but Netflix brought it to the U.S. in 2013 called Top of the Lake, which takes place in New Zealand um, it has David Wenham, who was in the uh, Lord of the Rings movies. Very adult and mature in subject matter, but the cool thing is it was just a little seven-episode series that was kind of like a murder mystery, but not really, and also kind of brought up some things that happened to Elizabeth Moss, Moss's character in her past. Um, very well done. So just based on both of those things that she did outstandingly well, and she was high up on my list. Um, and the other one, to kind of go with John's uh, pick, for Sons of Anarchy is Katie Se uh, Katie Seagal, who 
really kind of annoyed me for bits and pieces of the season, but the final episode uh, of this season just really put her over the top in my book because she did something, uh, I won't get into spoilers or anything, but she did something really heinous um, and, and just kind of really broke down and just kind of lost it. And it was really just... Lady Macbeth did something heinous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was really fantastic. So um, a big, big fan of hers in that show. I'll, I'll somewhat echo your mention of Elizabeth Moss. I did not love Top of the Lake. We actually talked about it on our 2013 year review episode of Jersey Shore. I thought she was great in it. I was kind of not impressed by the show. But I did find it really interesting that we have an American actress in a British show playing a New Zealander in Australia or an Australander, Australian in New Zealand. I forget which one it was, but it was just a very strange mix. That said, I thought she was great in it. Did she win the Golden Globe for that? I know she just won the Golden Globe. Elizabeth Maybe Moss. that sounds like the type of thing the Golden Globes would eat up. But our winner in this category, shouldn't be that surprising if you head back to our favorite TV drama, is Tatiana Maslany or Mas, is that, am I saying that correctly? Tatiana uh, Maslany? I believe yeah. so, yes. Okay, let, let me try that again. Is Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black, and I have not seen all of even the first season of the show, I will get back to it eventually, but I can say even from the uh, three or four or five episodes I did see, wow, is her performance amazing. So you guys who have actually seen a lot more of the show than me, please, please uh, uh, tell our listeners some more. Well, I think we mentioned it a little bit earlier. I mean, it's she plays clones, and there are many of them. Uh, and they all are from different... You know, the idea of the show, I guess, is that these clones have been raised in completely different, uh, you know, backgrounds. It's a nature versus nurture type thing, right? So, you know, there's a few of them are English, and, uh, you know, a couple of them are... So you know, there's a soccer mom in the suburbs of America, and there's a crazy clone that's sort of the bad sister of all of them. And she does, it, you really believe they're just different people altogether, even though the same actress is playing all of them. And the way they, they shoot it, cause I've seen a few little, uh, few little background things behind the scenes stuff, the way they shoot scenes where she's interacting with her, herself, really fascinating. And as an actress, I've just got to give her even more props for that because acting against nothing, which in many cases is what she has to do, uh, and the way she does it and how well she pulls it off while playing such distinct characters is amazing. Uh, our next category in media is Best DVD slash Blu-ray. Uh, and I will send that over to the, the, the Blu-ray uh, maestro himself, uh, Mr. Johnny M. Um, definitely start off with the Breaking Bad complete set and the Zatoichi Criterion Collection. Uh, great giant box sets of Blu-ray. Great presentation and uh, quality of the transfers and ev all the extras that you get. Top-notch. You know, these are high-end sets. They're not 50 bucks. You know, they're, they're on the higher end price-wise, definitely. But, uh, something there for your money, for sure. Um... The Wolverine Best Buy exclusive, you know, exclusives are kind of hot and cold. You might get, you know, most of them are generally the same. You might get an, an extra disc of extras at Target. You might get a steel, uh, steel book at Walmart. For the most part, everything's very close to being the same. Well, in this case, the Best Buy set blew everyone away. Uh, I know Russ is a big fan as well, so I'm gonna I'll leave some open for him to talk about. 
And I did want to mention the Jurassic Park 3D conversion is awesome. A lot of 3D conversions of movies that were, you know, originally shot in 2D can be sort of ho-hum. This one's totally worth it. You know, Jurassic Park is a great movie. A lot of people love it. I don't need to talk about the merits of the movie itself. But this conversion is definitely worth it. It's like a new movie in 3D. So I definitely recommend it. Jim. I, uh... First of all, the Mystery Science Theater uh, 25th anniversary set came out this year, which if you're a fan of the series like I am is awesome because it was packed with extras, had their full 25th anniversary uh, San Diego Comic-Con panel, uh, lots of interviews with the creators, and uh, uh, not only the creators, but some of the actors of the original movies that are being lampooned on the show, and a really cool uh, like collector's tin. It was just a really nice collector set. Um, Cowboy Bebop also had an anniversary this year. It was a 10-year ten, anniversary set that came out. Uh, it was a Japanese-only uh, set, but uh, I was lucky enough to get a copy of it. There were a lot of extras on there and new subs. Um, everything was redone in uh, better sound, better uh, sound quality, and the animation has been uh, re-digitized, re-digi- uh, but it's been definitely touched up, and it looks a lot sharper. Uh, the Batman, Batman the Dark Knight Returns, the animated... Uh, uh, film that came out this year with Peter Weller as Batman. Um, and um, I'm blanking the guy's name now. Michael as the Joker. He was on Lost. He played Linus. Michael Emerson. Thank you. Michael Emerson as the Joker. Uh, I, I, I always wanted this to be adapted into a um, uh, an animated uh, movie, and I'm glad it was. It, I thought it was pretty well done. Um, the the, uh, the the Blu-ray is packed with full of, full of extras, and as I mentioned, our Christmas show they just re-released a bunch of John Carpenter classics on Blu-ray, touched up, and I'm hoping that leads to the rest of the Carpenter catalog coming out with nice new additions on Blu-ray. Well, I don't own a Blu-ray player, and I don't think I bought any DVDs this year. So, Russ, or at least any new ones, what did you get this year that you want to spotlight? Uh, like John mentioned, the, the Best Buy Wolverine exclusive was really cool. It came in like a box, which kind of fits with that Japanese motif, at least in my mind. Uh, it kind of had that red rising sun image on it. Uh, but inside, the, the coolest thing are little bit bigger than postcard size renditions of all the movie posters, which uh, the actual Wolverine picture movie poster I think is one of the best movie posters I've ever seen. It's just that minimalist look to it. It's really fantastic. So having those on uh, little card size items were was really cool. And the transfer was outstanding. I mean, just, just very, very top-notch on the quality. Man of Steel Collector's Edition was was pretty good also. It came in a, a tin in the S-Shield logo from the movie that opens up. And, and there's a, the, DV, the Blu-rays are actually contained in another S shield inside of that, uh, there, it comes on a stand so you can actually display it properly, which is really cool. They're limited and numbered. Uh, so that, that turned out pretty well. It's pretty much it other than, you know, what, uh, what's been mentioned prior. And our winner in this category is the Marvel phase one box set. So, uh, one of the guys who has that, why don't you tell us all about it? It's a bundle of awesome. I mean, I, I don't know you know, what, what all to, to say about it. Uh, I did an, a YouTube unboxing of it. If you find the HHW LOD podcast network channel on YouTube, uh, you'll, you'll see that video there of me unboxing it and going through everything. Um, it has 3d versions of 
Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers. Uh, it's in a suitcase that lights up with the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on it. Uh, there's all kinds of crazy promotional material from each film in folders. Uh, reproductions of, of all kinds of stuff. The little see-through overlays that Stark did while he was working in the cave on the first Iron Man armor. There's all the cool stuff, World War II stuff from Captain America. I, and just, just really, really neat stuff. They, they went out of their way to put together... Uh, a, a fantastic package. Uh, it, there's a cosmic cube in there that actually lights up and, and strobes and everything. When you open open the box the box up, it actually the whole thing lights up. It's it's really just a, a really cool showpiece. It wasn't ridiculously expensive. I mean, I think when it came out, I got it for like 130 bucks. And given that you've got all of the Phase One movies and three of them in in 3D. Uh, was just a, a real treat and well worth every every penny I spent on it. And I'm pretty sure that the 3D single discs for those movies are now out of print. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't believe you can grab Captain America or Thor or... Uh, you could probably get Avengers. I take that back. I think you can get Avengers in 3D still as a single, but not Thor or Captain America. And our final category in this section is Best Video Game of 2013. John, what did you play and enjoy this year? The Last of Us, for sure. My number one pick. Uh, great game. I'm, I'm upset that it wasn't ported over to next gen. That would have been a cool uh, conversion I probably would have played it again, as stupid as that is. I would have bought it for next gen just to see how much they could improve on it. Tomb Raider, excellent. I'm glad to hear this one is getting a next gen version. It should be very... uh, It looked great on the PS3, so I can only imagine what it's going to look like on PS4. Uh, Dead Rising 3, I I talked about this on our last BS show. Just a great use of the new power that the new consoles have. Um, zombies everywhere, lots of fun mowing them down in different vehicles and and uh, and with crazy weapons. Call of Duty Ghosts. I'm just I, I mention Call of Duty every year. I buy it every year. I enjoy it every year. You know, there's the naysayers and people that aren't Call of Duty players. Uh, there's not much new, just different maps and you know the dog, which I mentioned earlier, was awesome. And uh, I'll play Call of Duty Ghosts. You know, until the next Call of Duty comes out. So that I think earns it a spot on my list. Jim, what are your recommendations? So many great games this year. It was hard to narrow it down to just five. Um, Grand Theft Auto V, I spent a lot of time with this year. It was probably my favorite Grand Theft Auto since Vice City. It was the last Grand Theft Auto I actually finished in a long time. I actually played it all the way to the end. Uh, XCOM Enemy Within, which was you know built as an expansion pack, but might as well just be a whole new game. Um, most other places would have released it as XCOM 2 or something, but the, the fine people at Fraxis decided to put it out as at a lower price as an expansion. It's a, it's like I said, it's a whole new game, new new battlefields, new everything. Is if you like chess, it's like chess, but with sniper rifles. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, Far Cry uh, Blood Dragon, which I know was on uh, some of your other guys' list as well. Um, it was like cool, this cool video game version of playing a VHS. Uh, 80s action movie, uh, the the music, the everything, the the voiceovers by Michael Bean and, and uh, um, oh god, no, like uh, Phil Lamar, Phil Lamar, Phil Lamar, yeah. and the 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 animations in between that look like they're out of a Genesis or a Super Nintendo, you know, Cyber Commandos, 
you know, let's show them how cyber commandos do it, you know. Then the opening scene where they're playing uh, Little Richard and you're manning the, the turret and just blowing the hell out of that base. It's just like, I don't know, it was just so fun. And then uh, another uh, smaller downloadable indie title I got was called Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which was a shorter game, but it was really cool. It had a really nice art style and uh, just really great story and, and cool uh, gameplay as well. So that would be my recommends for this year. Very nice. Uh, my recommendations, trying to skip around things that other people have already talked about, and the winner, of course, um, Beyond Two Souls. Uh, it's second on my list, right behind the one that actually won, and it's a game I didn't even play. I just watched a full Let's Play of it, but uh, the story was really interesting. The performance capture was uh, just amazingly impressive, and it's just unlike any other game I've really seen, uh, you know, with the exception of maybe Heavy Rain, which Quantic Dream, the developers, did before this one, but... Just, it was really something special and different, certainly not for everybody, but uh, I, I really got into it. And then uh, what I'm actually playing right now, or at least is sitting on my lap as some weapons upgrade in the Forge, and that is the mobile game Infinity Blade 3. Uh, Infinity Blade 3 wrapped up the trilogy and came out this year. Super fun game. They really polished everything and, and added a bunch of new fun stuff. Plus, I actually went back and bought both novellas, the one that came out right before Infinity Blade 3 or right with it, that bridges uh, between Game 2 and Game 3, and the one that happens in between Game 1 and Game 2, both of which are written by Brandon Sanderson, who uh, fantasy fans will certainly recognize that name. And I read both of them uh, this about a week ago. So much fun, really enjoyed them, and the game is a ton of fun, especially for a mobile game. Uh, Russ, what were some of your favorite games this year? Uh, I spent most of the year living in 2012, playing a lot of games <laughs> on the Steam sale. Yeah, but it was a pretty good year. Yes, it was. Uh, but Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, like Jim mentioned, I have not played a game that just makes me smile and laugh that much in a long time, and it's just all the nostalgia. I mean... You just feel like you're back in the 80s, and then from a from a technology perspective, like the early 8 to 16-bit consoles, just a, it's just so much fun. It's just so ridiculous and so stupid and so silly, but it's just so awesome at the same time. Um, I anybody that's on the fence about getting this game, like like get it now, like stop the podcast and go play it because it's it's just so awesome. And the other one I'll, I'll mention real quick is Rogue Legacy which is a frustratingly hard game, but a lot of fun. Um, and it takes you back to the old uh, crazy hard platformers. Uh, and there's a lot of cool op options with it where you, you basically play your own ancestor and upgrade your, your equipment and stuff like that over time and try and run through these castles to complete an objective. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and you can just kind of play it here and there for a few minutes. That's what I like about it. You don't have to dedicate a ton of time to it. And over time, you kind of grind away at it. So, so that's another one on that was lower on my list, but but still there. And the winner, surprising probably very few people, considering we did our own podcast on it for LOD. We did our own podcast on it for Jersey Shore, but Bioshock Infinite, a gorgeous game, a game with one of the most amazing and innovative uh, scores and soundtracks I've heard in a while, amazing voice acting, and a story that will blow your mind, maybe even make you cry unless you're made of stone, and the DLC, of which we only have uh, one story part out right now, the second part will be coming soon, just as awesome and jaw-dropping. Uh, Jim, I know you love Bioshock Infinite, and Russ, you have it on your list as well, uh, Take it away. Tell us what you loved about Bioshock Infinite this year. 
kind of ruined it for all of the Bioshock games. If you think about it, you know, if you, uh, if you think about like what they're going to have to do to, you know, to follow this, I mean, if they do sitting in a volcano, well, if they do all that, I mean, everybody's going to be like, oh, it's just another, another light, you know, if they, from the ending of, you know, the first of uh, Bioshock Infinite, they've kind of already, you know, gone as far as they can go with the Bioshock thing, I think. But what a way to go out if indeed that was the last, last hurrah. But, yeah, uh, I, I definitely, I definitely think the ending makes that game. I found the story and then picking up the items to kind of learn more about the world and the history, uh, the music, um, just those covers were, were phenomenal. I found the gameplay to be fairly okay. Like the gameplay is not what, what did it for me. It was the overall story and, you know, just some of the powers were kind of cool and just the situations and environment. I mean, some of them got downright creepy and really freaky. Um, I rented it, so I played through it really quick and I didn't get to be as immersive in it as I would have liked, but I did pick it up. They did a package steam sale where you got Bioshock, Bioshock two and Bioshock infinite for like a ridiculously low amount of money, like 12 bucks or something. Um, so I definitely plan on playing it again. And I can't, I I'm looking very much forward to that. Best deal since the orange box right there. Yeah. And that will wrap up, uh, this section. And I'm going to send it over to John for our next media section, which is movies. Yes, movies, movies, movies. Uh, a good year. I don't think a great year, but I guess that's something that we can discuss. Uh, I guess I will kick off the festivities with some of my nominations. It just snuck in at the end of the year. I think it opened on Christmas Day. I managed to get out and see The Wolf of Wall Street, and that was my number one pick. I think it, uh, you know, it's Scorsese, it's DiCaprio, it's a classic. In terms of Scorsese, a lot like, you know, your your casino, your Goodfellas, things like that. Number one, definitely for me. I, I still haven't gotten a chance to see it, but I have a feeling it would be on my list if I had gotten to. Yeah. Uh, great performances all around. Maybe we'll hold on till uh, favorite actor and actress to, to talk about that stuff. I enjoyed The Desolation of Smaug. I know that. See, see how I say that now? Smaug. <laughs> You're drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. So I enjoyed it a lot. We talked about it before. Um, I know some people were mixed on it. I say Pacific Rim with the caveat of IMAX 3D. If you if it's definitely IMAX 3D, then I would put it on my list. Uh, maybe not if it was just a regular, uh, if you saw it in regular format. Um, and I do want to mention Fast 6 because those movies just know how to have fun. And they've figured it out. They've that franchise has figured out their audience, and uh, you could turn your brain off, and they get a great cast, and they just have a load of fun. So, Jim, what did you think about movies this year? Oh, there were some pretty damn good movies. Um, I really enjoyed Pacific Rim. That was probably my number one of the year. I just had the most fun with that at the movies that I had all year. Uh, I saw American Hustle prior to the the podcast, and I really enjoyed. The ensemble and that, especially the performances by the women, uh, Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence just kind of stole that movie away from the rest of the, the cast. Computer chess. Guys, if you have any soft part of your heart for the old school 80s computers that took the whole back seat of your, uh, the whole back part of your mom's station wagon to take around with you, then you'll probably enjoy this, this weird little indie movie. It's, it's shot on black and white VHS. It covers a, a conference of, uh, Amateur computer enthusiasts in 1980. Um, it's, it's pretty great. 
Uh, VHS 2, which was like light years ahead of uh, VHS 1, one of my favorite horror movies of the year. And uh, Europa Report, which uh, kind of was under my radar for a long time that I ended up checking out on Netflix streaming. And was a cool little indie movie. I imagine if I saw Gravity, it would probably be knocked off my list, uh, but I didn't. So <laughs> this is here. But uh, it's definitely worth checking out Europa Report. I'll, I'll echo you on the Europa Report, uh, Jim. It's also on my list. I, I don't know what I expected with it, but it was just a, a very cool little different space exploration movie that I that I really enjoyed. Um, but the, the the top thing on my list is a movie called A Band Called Death. Uh, it's a documentary that uh, just focuses on this one band that, guess what, is called Death. And uh, why they never hit it big when they should have. Because I got to tell you, as a music fan, as a musician, I loved the music in this movie of all the classic stuff from this band. Um, really, really good stuff. I, I recommend anybody who's a music fan, particularly of punk or metal or old school rock, to check this out. It's really good. Also on my list, Iron Man 3. I know it was divisive. Some people did not like it. To me, it is my favorite of the three. I loved how it delved into the man who was uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark, and uh, some of his deepest, darkest fears, and uh, showed him on some of his worst days. And to me, I found that really interesting. Russ? Uh, a lot of echoing uh, of the same. I, I think one of the ones that nobody's mentioned, but it was on a couple lists, is Thor The Dark World. I was Really impressed with that. Um, Fast Six as well. Uh, the Hobbit Desolation of Smog was second on my list. I'm, I'm really upset that I didn't get a chance to see Wolf of Wall Street because I, I hear so much great things about it. And I, I have a feeling that if I would have been able to make it out to, to see that, that would have been at least on the list, if not if not towards the top. So I'm, I'm a little bummed about that. Um, I, I didn't see Gravity either. Um, and I'm not sure you know where that would lie if it would. Um, but I, th I think overall it wasn't, a f like you said, John, it was a good year for movies, but not a great year for movies. There wasn't anything that really just kind of stood out and, and just really blew me away. I mean, I, I, I did have, you know, rank what I saw and I feel good about the, about how it all played out, but nothing like there wasn't that one movie that just was like, oh my God, that was, you know, a clear, a clear winner. I mean, you know, Jordan, you have Iron Man three on your list. And nobody else put Iron Man 3 on their list. And it's not to say that Iron Man 3 is a bad movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit, but it just wasn't it. It it, it just it didn't rank high for me like Iron Man or Iron Man 2. So I think that's kind pretty of telling. I'm sorry. Just kind of, I'm, just, I'm sorry uh, to kind of speak to your point. Every other year we've had a thing, you know, where, uh, you know, best movie of the year that isn't, you know, Avengers. Right. Or, you know, right. I mean, we've always had one of those. You know, we had to eliminate one movie right off the top of the dock because we knew that everyone would have picked it. This year, it was not like that. There was no clear-cut, you know, except right. for this. So, Well, the winner for best movie goes to The Wolverine, which is kind of surprising. I wouldn't have guessed it, I guess, before the year started. And I'm going to hand it over to Russ, uh, the Wolverine expert, to talk about why this was so great. It just gave me everything I wanted to see in a Wolverine movie. It was, you know, we and we've, we've done a Real Heroes episode on this as well, but it was close enough to the Miller Claremont series that it got the beats right, and it took the material seriously. Like, it wasn't, I mean, it got a little bit silly at the very end, you know, with the with the fighting of the, of the CG uh, Silver Samurai robot, 
but just I I find it most interesting with Wolverine when he's actually actually vulnerable. Um, we know he's not going to be killed off. He's he's the main character of the movie, but when he is vulnerable, when he when you feel like there is some peril, I I think that character really works the best. Um, and to see him kind of no holds barred a lot like we saw in X two was really fun as well. And I just I think the Japanese setting, playing with real Japanese actors, uh, I think I think added to the authenticity of it. The effects and the stunt work was was top notch. It it just fired on all cylinders from what I wanted to see in a Wolverine movie. And you know Hugh Jackman just owns that role, and and you could tell he's not just doing it for a paycheck. I mean, obviously that that has a lot to do with it, but you feel like he really does you know, he does understand what that role has done for him as an actor and really gives his all and really puts his 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 you know best effort forward. Definitely. And what are we at now when when he does uh when we get to days of future past what is that the seventh time he'll be playing Wolverine or seventh. it might even be Yeah. Yeah. Seventh That's time. That's great stuff. Yeah. Okay, moving on then to favorite actor in a film. Uh, some of the names on my list to kick things off. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, again, for Wolf of Wall Street. Dwayne Johnson, love his stuff in, in Fast 6. Uh, lots of fun. Jonah Hill, again, for Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, Jonah Hill, to me, is like this hidden gem. You know, he can do those silly, really silly movies like, uh, you know, This is the End and, and stuff like that. Then he comes back with Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street and really, you know, flexes his acting muscles. Uh, good stuff. I'm enjoying Arnold's comeback. I put Arnold Schwarzenegger on my list. Liked him in The Last Stand. He was really good in uh, The Escape Plan, which is not a great movie. But you can just see his comedic timing and, and sort of the the Arnold attributes are starting to come back. You know, in Expendables 2, it was pretty bad. Uh, he was pretty stiff and sort of feeling his way around, but he's really getting back into the groove now, and all of a sudden, he's everywhere. It's like commercials that they're running during the NFL playoffs, and it's Arnold all the time now. Uh, but I'm okay with that. Jim, how about you? I had uh, Idris Elba for uh, Pacific Rim for that great speech and everything else in that, that movie that he did. Also, Mel Gibson as the, uh, the the villain in Machete Kills. It just really kind of blew me away you know, after all the weirdness he's been through. Um, it kind of almost added to his performance as a psycho villain. Uh, Charlotte Copley for uh, Europa Report. I thought he was really awesome in that. And uh, Michael Shannon. Not so much uh, for Man of Steel as for uh, The Iceman. Uh, the movie he made about uh, Kuklinski, the uh, the contract killer from New York from the 70s and 80s. Uh, that movie is really awesome. It was a great uh, performance in it. So those are my picks. I did not see a huge ton of new movies this year. As listeners know, I was broke for a large portion of the year. But uh, the one performance I do want to spotlight is Tom Hiddleston as Loki in the Thor films. He was just great in uh, Thor 2. I can't wait to see what they do next with the character. And he is just so much fun as Loki. Uh, he can do no wrong, in my opinion. There's a great, um, for those interested, there's a great interview that he did on the Nerdist podcast with... Um, yes, yes, yes. With Chris Hardwick. Uh, the guy is j just so genuine. I mean, he is just so... Like, I, I love listening to him in interviews um, and just kind of hear him talk about his career and his experience and stuff like that. So he's he's just he's just really fantastic. I have a couple that uh even though I didn't put Iron Man 3 on my list, just the fact that Downey uh 
really just kind of keeps coming back as as Tony Stark and given his all, I think it is worth is worth putting on the list. Um, Richard Armitage, who I have on the list, who plays Thor and Oak and Shield in the Hobbit movies, I, I thought I thought this one again was a step up. Desolation of Smaug was a definite step up as compared to the first one. And Armitage, I thought, did did fantastic. I liked him on the British series MI5. He he was kind of in the last three or four seasons of that show, um, and which didn't influence my decision for this year because that show's been over for quite some time. Uh, but thought he did a really great job. And then the Batch, I had to include the Batch, despite what you think about um, Star Trek Into Darkness. So Benedict Cumberbatch was on on my list for sure. And the Batch is a great nickname. Yes. Yeah. Benedict Timothy Carlton Cumberbatch. And his female followers call him are called the Cumberbitches. Nice. Nice. Classy, huh? Classy. <laughs> Classy dance. Uh, and the winner for favorite actor in a film. Goes to Hugh Jackman, who I, I guess if you heard us gush over uh, the Wolverine, I, I guess we've said quite a bit about Hugh Jackman already. He's just uh, he's bringing it as Wolverine. And I haven't seen the movie Prisoners, but it's out on video now, and I'll probably pick it up. But I've heard a lot of great things about his his portrayal in that movie too. So very good. So we move on. Two favorite actress in a film, and uh, we do have a lot of common names in this category. So I will just mention uh, the ladies of the Wolverine, Rila Fukushima, and I guess it's Tao Okamoto. Not yeah. sure how to say her first name. They played, of course, Mariko, and uh, Rila Fukushima plays Yukio. what's her name, Yukio. Uh, excellent job. They were a lot of fun. They are uh, beautiful and talented, and I enjoyed them both in The Wolverine. Jim, who stood out for you this year? Well, uh, Jamie Alexander, a Sith, uh, in uh, the Thor of the Dark World, definitely. Antje Trau, the German actress who played uh, uh, in uh, the, the Kryptonian uh, um, warrior Theora. in uh, Theora. Yes, Theora in um, Man of Steel. Uh, Sofia Vergara from Machete Kill. She just blew it over the top. It was great. Uh, and Rinko Kikuchi from uh, uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, uh, she was. I thought she was cool, even though she didn't speak her lines very well. She had a, she had a great look and was really cool as a character. So. I only have one name on my list. Again, I did not see very many movies, and that person is the winner. So, Russ. Yeah, same thing with everybody else. A lot of familiar names. Uh, the only one I'll add or two I'll add, Amy Adams uh, and Evangeline Lilly. Amy Adams, of course, from American Hustle, um, was was pretty outstanding. Uh, I, I just really like it. And, of course, uh, she played Lois Lane in Man of Steel, and I thought she did a fantastic job there, too. Um, a- Amy Adams is just, I think, becoming one of those actresses that you, that I just really like everything she's in. I mean, I, I've yet to see anything where she's been in that's been, I mean, she was great in The Fighter, I mean, in, in years past. Just outstanding actress. And Evangeline Lilly, who's kind of semi-retired from acting for the most part. She hasn't really been doing too much, but she made her appearance in The Hobbit, uh, Desolation of Smaug, and I thought was just excellent. She is an elf. Yes. As Bill McGonnell would say. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes, yes. So the winner for favorite actress in a film is Miss Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, which I, I find this very interesting because I, I don't know if Russ did. I didn't even see Catching Fire, 
this is no. all off of American Hustle for me. Oh, yeah. And yeah. maybe Jordan, who's been a fan of hers for a while now, can talk about uh, the the bigger picture. Yeah, I still haven't seen uh, American Hustle, but I just finally, uh, like last week or the week before, got to see Catching Fire. Uh, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought she was great in it. Uh, she's just... Beyond the fact that she's a really good actress, I would point anybody to Winter's Bone unless they are struggling with depression, in which case probably stay away from that movie. But um, beyond the fact that she's just a really good actress, she comes off as just genuine and normal in, in real life and just, I don't want to say over it, but over it in a not douchey way, if if that's a thing. She's doesn't care about stardom or any of that kind of stuff. She just seems like a normal person who goes to work does her job and that job has to happens to be acting and she does it really awesomely and she's cute as a button i really love her new haircut it's really been kind of her year you know what i mean i mean she had the she got the box office success of catching fire which made you know umpteen million dollars and then she had the critical success and, and soon to be box office success because of all the buzz from american hustle you know so i mean it's really been her year totally and then she photobombed Taylor Swift. Yeah, that was pretty awesome, too. Yeah. And then she's going to be in the new X-Men movie, of course, is Mystique. Which I remind people of. I'm like, you know Jennifer Lawrence is in the new X-Men? What? Yeah. A lot of people forgot that she was Mystique in first class. Yeah, yeah. It's about time for our lightning rounds, and uh, I'll hand it back over to Mr. Latham. Okay, so the first of our lightning round. Uh, so these are just things we're just going to breeze through real quick. Like we do every year, most of these are pretty just funny categories that we like uh, monkeying around with. And the first one is best movie moment, and this one goes to Mister Mister M. The Fast Six after credits because it's not the duties until I mention Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It wouldn't be the same. Jim, uh, I had to go with canceling the apocalypse. That was my big movie moment this year. Yes. Yes. For me, it was the mid-warp battle in Star Trek Into Darkness, a movie I loved until the last half an hour, in which case it was terrible, but that mid-warp battle was one of the coolest looking and sounding things I've ever seen slash heard in a theater. Just awesome. Cool. Mine was the post-credits Wolverine sequence. Uh, I wasn't really, I was kind of expecting it, but not really expecting it, and for those characters to show up, and it for, I guess, mild spoiler, for it to be related to days of future past i thought was awesome uh so that was that was my movie moment next category is biggest movie disappointment johnny m parker uh jason statham in that role should have been a good movie should have been a no-brainer but then j-lo uh. jim let's go with man of steel the more i watch it the more i realize i don't like it very much <laughs> like when I first watched it, I, I thought, okay, well, this is all right. This is like an Elseworlds. But no, I've watched it a couple more times. I really just don't like it very much. Man of Steel is also my biggest movie disappointment. Uh, I wanted to love it. I thought it looked amazing, especially in the trailers. The music that they used was amazing. I liked the actors involved. And then the pacing was just all over the map. And yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it. But it was certainly not what I wanted. It was just kind of meh and in the middle. Mine was Star Trek Into Darkness. And, you know, based on all of the You're trailers. Wrong. <laughs> and, yeah, and everything else, uh, bringing in Benedict Cumberbatch, I, th I thought it was just going to exceed the first one. Uh, and, I again, I, kind of like you, uh, Jordan, with Man of Steel, I didn't hate it. 
but I think my expectations were so high based on how much I absolutely loved the first one. Uh, this one just really disappointed me. Next up, best new. And so this could be anything, comic, TV series, character, whatever you want to call it. The be- best new. John. Uh, the Blacklist. I have said enough <laughs> about it. Five Weapons. I think I've said enough about that, too, earlier, but it was awesome. Mine is Ruby, R-W-B-Y, uh, which you can watch at roosterteeth.com. It's by some of the same people who bring you Red versus Blue. I haven't said a lot about it on LOD, but if you want to know more, we did a whole Jersey Shore episode about it. The fights are awesome. Cool. Mine is Fitzsimmons, and uh, I'm going to treat that as one thing, uh, even though technically it's two, but... Those two characters on Agents of Shield are are the I, I think the best new thing that I've seen this year. They're they're just they work so well together. There's there's humor, uh, there's camaraderie. I, I just love everything about Fitz and Simmons. Amen. Uh, so the next category is the one we have just a ton of fun with and love to just do this because we get to both curse and get to bleep at the same time, uh, <laughs> which is always fun. And this is our annual what the f- category. I want to start with the DC movie plan. What DC movie plan? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, They don't seem to get that the success of the Marvel movies was that they did the single movies, established the heroes, then brought them together for the Avengers movie. Uh, They're doing it backwards. They're introducing a new Batman in a Superman movie, which to me is the most what the f*** thing out of all of it Batman is like the only sure thing you have as DC why water why not take the Batman money on its own why lump it into the Superman money it just doesn't make sense to me and and just before we recorded this podcast I read that they have now moved Superman Batman whatever the hell you want to call it is it eight months back or I don't now it's matching up against the Marvel movie. Yeah, 10 months to May May 2016, yeah. So, you know, what the fuck? Yeah, I don't even think they know what the fuck on that, man. Um my my what the fuck goes to uh three different comic book events this year. Forever Evil on uh, the DC side. Yeah, so you're the, you're telling me Ultraman uh gets his powers from grinding up kryptonite and snorting it like cocaine seriously uh age of ultron which i'm sure we spent enough time lamenting and talking about and batman zero year i'm sorry i just i gave it a shot and i just i i think we've been down this road several times before and and much better uh with much better writing art so i really what the dc and marvel what the are you guys uh, this year I say, what the f*** to Age of Ultron. It had at least potential, and especially for me, I love time travel stuff, I love alternate reality stuff, and it was just a big waste of time and money and thought with a dumb ending and some interesting consequences that so far, at least in the books I read, nothing really has been done with, aside from the fact that I got to see Spider-Man 2099 again, which was nice, but that could have easily been done without any of the Age of Ultron nonsense. Uh, My what-the-f*** moment this year was the Xbox One, and not the console itself, because obviously I don't have it and haven't seen it, but it's just all of the... 
stuff leading up to it. The can't play used games, the connect has to be connected at all times, and just the reversal. I've, I've heard on other websites and other podcasts they say this, and it's the exact same thing I've thought, but I've never seen a huge corporation, especially one as big as Microsoft, do a complete about face in 180 on so many things over a, over, over a short period of time. And especially when they were so hardcore all in on all of those things when they announced them and they were, you know, kind of made a lot of people mad and, it, you know, the, the whole always connected to the Internet thing. And, you know, it just it just was crazy to me to see them go all in like they did and then to just completely about face and, and skip direction. So uh, what the f Microsoft? Uh, the next category is Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. So this is stuff that we want immediately. We don't want to wait for it. The Raid 2. Next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, man. Uh, no Man's Sky. Uh, Google it. Look at the trailer. Procedurally created universe for you to play and explore in with your Starfighter. It is intense. Mine is Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea Part 2. I want it. I want it now. And they haven't even announced the release date, although we know it'll be before the end of March, because contractually it has to be, I believe. But I want it now, because the ending of the last part was so crazy. Yeah, it was. Uh, mine is probably no surprise, Captain America the Winter Soldier. The first Captain America movie was second uh, for me only to the Avengers. The trailer for this looks insane, uh, and I, I just can't wait for it. And so the last category I have in this grouping is... A sleeper pick. So this is a, could be anything, a game, a movie, a comic that nobody knows about, but that was a favorite of yours. Uh, Man of Tai Chi. It's a, it's a, I think sleeper pick is a perfect spot for it. If you're a martial arts movie fan and you would like to see Keanu Reeves uh, not be ridiculous for three quarters of a movie, <laughs> uh, definitely check it out. The fights are really good. There's some good talent in it that I have not previously seen for martial arts type uh, fighting and stuff. So uh, I would check it out. Uh, Black Beetle by Francesco Francavilla. It should be a, it should be like one of the best selling comics out there, and it's not. It's just gorgeous art, great stuff. Mine is The Private Eye by Brian K. Vaughn and Marcus Martin. Um, it is a online-only comic, a digital-only comic that you can buy at uh, panelsyndicate.com, I believe. Um, my letter is actually in issue four, if I remember correctly, and it's just an awesome, awesome digital comic about a post-digital world. I don't want to say any more than that because that might spoil it, but check it out. It's pay what you want. You can pay a cent. I think you can pay nothing if you want, and it is awesome. And worth much more than a cent or nothing. I pay. I think I've paid at least two ninety nine, if not three ninety nine, for every issue, and it's. I'd say it's even worth more than that. Great stuff. DRM free. Yes, and you can get it in Spanish and maybe Portuguese as well as English. Like the options are insane. They're, they're just mad props to them. Uh, wrong category. <laughs> well, it's it's an additional mad props. <laughs> Sue me. Uh, mine is a is a book I talked about earlier. And it's the Star Wars Darth Vader miniseries. So again, they at least through 2014, I think they plan on doing more of these. They're typically between five and six uh, issues apiece, and they're just a ton of fun. So now I will turn it over to Mr. Dietz, um, who will bring us home with the last 
the last three categories. Lightning round part two. Here we go. Let's get it. Lightning round. Uh, mad props. This is someone or something or somewhere that we'd like to give mad props to. John. Uh, Eastbound and down finale. Nailed it. Uh, HHWLOD Posse, everyone that makes the silliness that we do every week possible and who listens and who writes in the Facebook group and sends me emails and, uh, listens to what we do and enjoys it. All of you, mad props. Vince Gilligan for everything he's done with Breaking Bad, but especially this final half of the final season. Uh, just, uh, I don't think anyone could have done it better. Great characters, great writing, great visuals, great everything. And I will miss it dearly. Mine is Netflix. Uh, the fact that I pay eight bucks a month and get the value that I get out of Netflix is crazy. And with stuff that they've done this year from, like I've talked about Top of the Lake to House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, um, Arrested Development, uh, the announcement of them picking up four individual Marvel series and then turning it into uh, the Defenders as a follow-up is incredible. The fact that they're expanding into even more original content, uh, they're nominated... And 4K streaming? Yes, 4K streaming. Um, the fact that they're nominated for an Oscar this year for, for one of the documentaries they sponsored, uh, just just can't, can't go on enough about uh, Netflix and how far it's come from the place that used to mail you physical discs in the mail to now is known for pretty much the exact opposite of that. All right, in our next category in the lightning round, best movie that everyone else hated. I'll go with 47 Ronin. It, it kind of I'm looking at it now and it kind of bothers me that the category says best. I'll go with okay movie that everyone else hated. <laughs> um it it just got so much hate that I put it on this list because it wasn't that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. I will go with um uh, Machete Kills because it seemed like all the reviews I read of this movie d- didn't understand what the movie was trying to do. Um, it just seemed like, you know, it, they missed the point of the movie. Uh, it was just like a fun grindhouse kind of thing. So uh, everyone else seemed to hate it. I thought it was a lot of fun. So. My best movie everyone else hated is actually a callback to my biggest movie disappointment because both are Man of Steel. And that may seem contradictory, but... While I thought Man of Steel had pacing problems and I just didn't love it like I thought I would, it's also a movie that, at least in my opinion, has got a ridiculous amount of misguided hate of just, particularly from Superman purists who I don't think get Superman as well as they think they do, or at least didn't get this movie's version of Superman as well as they think they did. But uh, yeah, it's a movie I didn't love, but I think it's just gotten a lot of ridiculous hate you want to hate on the pacing you want to hate on something legitimate sure but it was just a lot of nonsense around the movie i thought uh mine was the last stand and maybe hate is a strong word but given the fact that it pretty much absolutely flopped at the box office this was arnie's big return after being the governor uh, i enjoyed it quite a bit uh i think the supporting cast was good i'm i'm kind of a sucker for a big action shoot 'em up ridiculous movie um, and it had a lot of crazy guns and some humor and Arnie kind of poking fun at himself was, was always good. So the last stand for me. Sweet. Now we always have every year we have a crystal ball category. Where we make a few predictions for the upcoming year. I'm looking back now at our crystal ball for, from last year real quick. And, uh, John has, 
Uh, some of these are, are fairly pretty and they actually worked out, uh, out. Um, Crystal Ball for 2013. John has, Shield TV show is huge. Yeah, kind of. Premiered uh, huge? Brad hate, <laughs> Brad hates Man of Steel. Ken loves it. I don't know where Ooh. Ken sits on Man of Steel, but I don't think Brad liked it. No. no, Brad hated it, definitely. Mm-hmm. He makes many memes on his Facebook regarding Man of Steel. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure about Ken. And Robo- RoboCop remake is good. I guess that's... Uh, didn't happen yet. yet. I guess it was... Uh, uh, yeah. Pushed. All right. So it's like, it's like one and a half. Yeah, one and a half out of three. I'll take it. Uh, I had digital prices drop as publishers realized the same as print as pri- uh, prices print isn't working. And that's happened uh, with some, so some much. places, you know. Pacific Rim is mind-blowingly awesome, but underperforms domestically, <laughs> but makes Boku Bank overseas. Yeah, I, that's a that's a ding ding yeah, ding. That's, yeah, yeah. spot that's, that's, on. Um, Bioshock Infinite will be incredible, but controversial. I think you nailed that one. Yeah. Ken had plans for Star Wars theme park expansion at Disney Parks, and, True. and that came out uh, just recently as a, as a news item. Uh, Jordan, Man of Steel divides critics, opens upwards of seventeen, uh, one hundred seventy-five million. Anyway, I think that's that's. I think that's that's true. That's pretty yeah, cool. uh, I'm not sure what it did, but I'm looking it up now. <laughs> it did finally get a real job, he, Jordan. You no, got, did didn't happen. No, hopefully Damn this it. year. You have a job though. I'm putting Jordan under most disappointing. Now. And its opening was uh, <laughs> one hundred sixteen million, so not uh, quite close. And you Jordan, see, biggest movie disappointment is now you. <laughs> and life goes on. You got True that enough. one right. It did. And and then Russ uh, had Henry Cavill has announced the Superman in Justice League. Kind, kind of. of kind of. Well, oh, not in Justice, not in Justice League, League, right? We didn't get Justice League. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, word will come out that Avengers 2 will be RDJ's last appearance as Tony Stark. That was wrong. Could still happen. Well, no, he they announced he signed... For oh, Avengers right. 2 and Avengers 3. Oh, uh, so, okay. So. And then, boy, I think you got this last one, though. At least one member of the original Star Wars cast will be confirmed for Episode 7. And that has Have any of them been officially no. confirmed? Nobody's been yeah. confirmed, so yeah. No, but the latest has been that the rewrite is including the original three actors as, like, major players in the story. So. Alleged, yeah. Overall, overall, not bad. Pretty close. I mean, I mean, we're not, not too bad. We hit some. So what do we got for this year? What does the duty crystal ball? <laughs> he said ball. Um, I will. Um, and crystal. My first one is uh, that I will love the new RoboCop because uh, I love things that I love. There you go. Uh, mine is that I still don't have a next-gen gaming system. <laughs> mine is that I will die in the most boring way possible, like. Why would you say that though? Or or carbon monoxide leak? No, I don't know. Come on, we'll see. These damn emo kids. I know that's the kind of thing you say in your twenties. You know. Yes, I'm the emo kid hanging out from 2004. That's me. (laughs) Your asymmetrical haircuts and your striped t-shirts. Do you wear a long sleeve shirt under a short sleeve shirt under a long sleeve shirt? (laughs) I almost never wear long sleeve anything or go to the beach. (laughs) And my haircut is very symmetrical. I did wear and a striped blue. shirt today, but it was a polo. Yeah, emo kids don't wear polo. <laughs> emo kids don't exist. It's 2014. <laughs> well, they're emo young adults now. <laughs> uh, mine is that Doctor Strange is going to be officially announced as a Phase 3 movie, uh, which is 
I will not go. Which is probably Do you think one. we're going to start getting Phase 3 announcements before Avengers 2 is out? Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll at least get a tease of Comic-Con before Avengers 2 comes out of what will be in a Phase 3 other than Ant-Man. Because they'll... Phase 3 is, is potentially bad for me because I hate Doctor Strange and I hate Black Panther. Oh, wow. Really? Even with new Avengers? Yeah, I, I just... I don't know. You know what? I don't hate him, but he's not interesting to what me. What about huh. Michael Douglas as Ant-Man? <laughs> Jury's out. But yeah, by, by the time Avengers comes out, they'll have to be filming or have filmed at least the next summer movie by then, so... Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. John? I, I predict everyone else will hate RoboCop. Um... <laughs> I, I don't get a lot of people do, when there's remakes and reboots and things like that. You hear a lot of like it just didn't feel like a X movie. I never get that. I don't want it to feel like the other one. I just want to enjoy it. I predict that that's what's coming uh, for this movie, but it's okay. I'll be all right. I am predicting that Escape from New York and The Thing, two of my favorite movies of all time, will finally get deluxe remastered Blu-ray releases. I predict that everyone won't hate RoboCop because I will merely not give a about it one way or the other. <laughs> I'm now putting Jordan is dead to me in my third. You're on notice. But, but, on notice but, dead to you, but dead to you in the most boring way possible. <laughs> That's the important part. <laughs> Like paper cut or, you know, smothered well in a bath towel, something. Well played, Jordan. Uh, I only had two predictions this year. I really had a hard time thinking of something else. But my second one is, this is this is kind of an out there one, but that Robert Redford's character in Captain America the Winter Soldier is really the Red Skull. Interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. I think that'll be the big F you to... Uh, to you know, to cap to just kind of try and break him from the inside the organization. So that's my pick, John. I'm going with a Punisher TV project is announced. I I don't. I'm hoping for HBO or Stars or something to that effect. I don't get why they used all of the properties that they've gotten back, and there's been no word on Punisher yet. I think something is is coming. That should be my third prediction that Stars will get or uh, Cinemax will get the Punisher series as a vehicle for Sullivan Stapleton to get even more ass than he got in Strike Back and uh 300 Rise of an Empire. Hmm. Uh, I predict that there will be an LOD reunion either at Heroes Con or at New York Comic Con this year. Because I'm going to attempt to uh, go to both. I will follow up my theme from last year, and I think the year before, with a movie prediction, a box office prediction more specifically, and I will predict, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, throw some salt, don't break a mirror, whatever the idioms are, that Guardians of the Galaxy will break 200 million domestically. Not in opening, but total, that it will break 200 million just domestically here in the U.S. It's a bold prediction, my friend. I know it is. What makes you say that? Because for me, like, I know you guys are Guardians of the Galaxy fans, and that's very cool. Uh, Like, for me, it's too obscure. Uh, And I know we said that about Iron Man at one time as well. So 
I, I don't know what makes you, you you think just the Avengers has enough carryover that this is gonna not miss a beat from the other Marvel movies? Is that basically what you're thinking? This will be first. Yeah. I, I think the one-two punch of an after credit scene in Captain America the Winter Soldier plus a version of the trailer similar to what was shown at Comic-Con and other places, um, I think that could do it because that trailer looked awesome. Just some, you know, if you can get Rocket Raccoon toys out there and Rocket Raccoon commercials or whatever and just show off the craziness and bombasticness of it, and market it as Star Wars meets Avengers with, you know, some other fun stuff in there as well. I think it could be one of those word-of-mouth movies that opens strong, but instead of dropping off, just keeps going and going and going. If it's done right, and I hope it is. Or it could be a flop, but I want to get that prediction up there of $200 million, mostly because I'm trying to will it into existence. Fair enough. So that is the 2013 Duty Awards. It is. We'd like to thank our guest stars Abe Vigoda, John Travolta, Fred Travelina, and Tony Fields. <laughs> Another year. Yeah, it's uh year. time is a flying. Another year of insanity. But overall good picks, guys. I think uh I, I think this was a tough year, like we said at the beginning, for a variety of reasons and, and the fact that we're able to to get some good stuff out there. Um, I, I think for, for us and for me, the, the kind of the lightning round stuff is always the most fun and, and the coolest to kind of come up with and, uh, where our varied tastes, I think really come into play are those character or those, uh, categories. Yep, absolutely. So with that, I guess we will sign off for this episode of long box of doom. If you'd like to leave us a message, um, maybe write down your winners and losers for the categories above or give your opinions. You can send us an email at LOD at HHWLOD.com. You can send us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. That's the HHWLOD podcast network voicemail line. So make sure you let everybody know or let the the message know that you're leaving a message for the Long Box of Doom. That would be fantastic. Uh, Check out our Facebook group. Go to Facebook.com slash HHWLOD. Um, where we have all the announcements for all the shows. You can type away uh, plenty of stuff there. There is a Long Box of Doom Facebook page uh, uh, as well. So check all that cool stuff out as well as all the other fantastic shows that we do on the network over at hhwlod.com. So until next time, this is Russ, Jim, Jordan, and Johnny M. So long, everybody. Good night. Have a good year. Happy duty. Think you mean howdy doody? No. <laughs>